everything I learned from Asian Hustle Network after that point, combined with people can with with people that can actually like market stuff, mm. and put things in order and make it pretty. My campaign went like super viral. My mom forbid me to have sleepovers at other people's houses. Oh. Never let me sleep over, and she never had anyone come come visit us at our house. And as I got older, I realized she never wanted us to feel like we're missing things because oh, if you went over smart. to my friend's house, and I realized that wow, they have big houses and like all these all these things. It's a little bit embarrassing. My first job, I, I got offered a salary of. What do you want to order? It was like they have never experienced it before, and it's like wow. they were so uncomfortable to the point where it's like, it's sad. You know, yeah. you're just looking at them. You're like, right. you give me so much of my life, and seeing you like startle when the waiter's like, "How's the food?" You know, yeah. you're like, "Oh, holy shit. it's so <laughs> wow. it's so sad." You know, like wow. that part was heartbreaking to me. I was like, shit. "Like, yeah." Is, you look back, like, oh fuck, like this is how far I've come. But extremely heartbreaking because this is like how far your parents have sacrificed. Hello, family and friends. Welcome to another Talks with Lemonade. This is available to the billions around the world on YouTube in 4K and audio streaming services like Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you like this content, please subscribe, like, comment, and share. And now onto the podcast. All right. Well, just start start the conversation. Start conversation. talking about Asian stuff. Uh, so, Brian, you do the uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Facebook group uh, Asian Hustle Network. And that's at 81,000 members that I just checked. Woo! And you yep, are the right. co-organizer with Maggie. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm the co-founder with my co-founder, with my boss, Maggie. There we go. Mm. Okay. So what's how did you guys start that and what's your role in it? Yeah, so I, I'm basically CEO of the organization. We're actually a C-Corp. So we fully incorporated, we raised funding for wow. our company. But the full intention that we're pivoting towards becoming like an Asian BuzzFeed and Netflix model. Mm -hmm. And the reason being is we wanted to create a framework for the community to showcase our talent because we see a lot of gatekeeping in our own community, especially in Hollywood, especially in corporate ladders. Like, so that pivot was like for the community, body community. So then, so the integration behind Asian Hustle Network happened around, I want to say around like 2018. That's the time where I was just, I was just starting to look around at me and then I was starting to look around and I'm like, man, like I really don't see enough Asian representation in media. And that's something I kind of kept to myself. I didn't really talk to anyone about it, but I just like made a mental note. Yeah. And then at the time I was living in San Francisco and the same thing, the joke in San Francisco was, wow, San Francisco, San Francisco is getting really white, you know, mm. like Texas making SS getting really white. And Again, I also made a mental note. I didn't really think about it, but I finally like got to the point where I put two and two together when I kept getting passed up for my promotion at work. And then, and then one of the things that um, my director would kept telling me was like, you're not outspoken enough. You're, you're not, you're not a leader. I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? You know, like I always see myself as, as a leader. Um, so that's when I started like really looking into it and realized a bunch of statistics, right? That you know, Asian people typically do not get promoted to C-level executive, executive positions. And 
I kept diving into that and it made me realize like, am I the only one that feels this way? So I started experimenting around, started tweeting, started blogging, and you know, it was starting to gain a lot of a lot of momentum at that point. But I still didn't really think about starting a Facebook community or any community because that never really occurred to me. It what wasn't until what were the you said you're tweeting about it like what was it motivational stuff for asians or what what was yeah sort of it's more like it's like damn asian the white man <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, i'm okay like with that, that. <laughs> yeah it's more I'm like just kidding <laughs> like asian people need to support each other because i saw like a huge divide within the asian culture like my my own my ongoing joke with people is like there, there's no one that hates asian people more than the asian people oh right mm. yeah and i feel that, like yao ming doesn't give a shit about me <laughs> i'm blowing up the swearing problem <laughs> sorry <laughs> i feel like yao ming is not supporting my success personally yeah yeah that's the thing i saw i just saw a lot of like crab mentality and tear each other down and i felt like because of that mentality like we we can't exactly make real progress and i want to change all of that mm. um it wasn't until actually my trip to japan around like april of 2019 that everything started to hit me. I'm like, hmm, like maybe I should start a Facebook community, but I didn't know what what to call it, what to do, even do with that. Because at the time, like subtle Asian traits is just blowing up like crazy, and I I had full intentions to start like a like a LinkedIn version of subtle Asian traits because I'm not really a funny guy. I like memes, but I'm not very funny, right? Uh, I'm more of a serious type of person, so I wanted like a more serious type of environment, but. It wasn't until I went to Japan that we went to the Meiji Shrine. We saw people writing their stories on wooden tablets on the wall that were like, wow, like stories are so powerful. If we actually take a step back and read each other's story and, and listen to each other, we realize that we have a lot more in common than we think. And that was like the, the glowing moment where I'm like, this is going to be the premise of Asian Hustle Network. We're going to share stories, right? Nice. So I mean, flashback, we came back to the States. We um finally put things to action we're thinking on the whiteboard like okay like what is the mission what do we want to do with this where do we see this this, this thing happening right but at the same time it's like we're still working our corporate jobs at the, at the time well it's not going to take off like we're not it's not going to do anything right never, like this is the asian us is so pessimistic it's like it's not going to take off <laughs> wait so you did um, all this planning for a facebook page facebook yeah group? yeah 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 because yeah. I, I feel like people throw up facebook pages a lot that are just <laughs> on a whim right is is there am i wrong in that i don't i actually i mean i i don't know the the planning and the growth meaning i i mean i throw it i i made some uh, i made a game that was called picks to words like a, mm -hmm. a software oh, wow. phone game and i thought it had potential and i made a page and it didn't go anywhere so i don't know I, I yeah. anyways anyways the yeah no I obviously it it uh paid off i mean you did something right <laughs> right yeah i guess like i was naively like thinking that this can be something but i still at the, i mean being in san francisco i see a lot of my friends start companies that i felt like they they didn't do enough planning or they weren't ready for the that extra growth that came along i didn't i didn't want that to be me right so uh. i'd rather put in time to like think bigger at that time it's like okay i don't know where what caught me at the moment but my whole mentality in 2018 and 19 was like Think big, Brian. Think super big. So that's the mentality that I, I walked into Asian Hustle Network with, with was I overstaffed my team at the very beginning. I remember <laughs> like we had like a hundred members in the, in the community. And I already had like 25 people on, on a roster to be like, okay, 
this is going to blow up guys be ready wow you know, like we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't want to be a victim of our own success and lo to behold like we went super viral like the first month already mm. just by wow. this concept right and that was like when i was like oh thank god i, was, I put on some work because we've been screwed <laughs> <laughs> you know? right did you yeah. did you envision it to i mean i guess you in, in a essence you're saying you didn't envision it to grow that fast but meaning like if i if i think about a group like i i could car i, I could start a car group for my specific car but yeah there's i don't know if it's going to grow or not so you foresaw it growing and then you thought it was going to grow and then you even staffed up was that um yeah yeah i i had a feeling that i had a product market fit somehow and it was just a theory in my head and at the time i didn't really know much about lean startup and all that stuff and validation i just went with my gut i was like this is gonna be something big <laughs> you know i feel like like huh. entrepreneurs you walk into something you're like this is gonna be something big uh yeah. so luckily i got a bunch of my friends on board to be, volunteer and help it was pretty yeah. easy when i mentioned that what, what i want to build was to unite the asian community and for the most part, everybody can relate. They're like, oh, yeah, that's right. We, we're, very, we're very divided. There's nothing really like that out there. Go for it, man. If you do it, I'll support you. And that's all I need yeah. to hear before I sign, up, sign them up for a lot of work. <laughs> you know? Right. So we're here to yeah. support all Asians. Yeah, that's right. Wait, so do do Indian Americans count? Like the Indian? Of course. Yeah. South okay, Asians we're, take, we're sure. taking in Indians. Okay. I imagine. <laughs> taking, is, well, it's got to be a line everyone. somewhere, right? That, no, they take anyone. It doesn't what, matter. What about where Mongolia hits Siberia? Do we take the Siberians? <laughs> we take everyone. Right? <laughs> our, our culture is similar, and that's that's the point. White, black, yellow, brown, take it all. No, but yep. then they're not Asian, right? It, there's, no, but but I mean, it's like remember in high school when there was like the Asian Asian club. Like you could have white people in the Asian club or black people in the Asian club. They were just there to experience the Asian culture and find ah. out, find out more about it. So. The Asian Hustle Network. The way I'm guessing, the way Brian's talking about it, it's just anything. It could be anything about hustling, really, but it, by chance, it has a centric Asianness behind it. Okay, so just don't be non-Asian and lazy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, not just that. I mean, it's okay. You're lazy, but just don't hate. You know, we don't need that negativity. Okay. I love the inclusiveness. This is good. So, uh, well, I mean, for our listeners, would it, is it more instructive to describe what you, so you're, you're telling us about the beginnings of the Asian Hustle Network. Um, should yeah. we tell people what it is now, or do you want to say more about how it started? I mean, it was you uh, and Maggie, yeah. right? Yeah, it's me. Uh, it started with me and Maggie. Yeah. It, it started, started with me to begin with, but Maggie's my girlfriend. And then ah, after that's where she's a the while, boss. yeah, that's why she's the boss. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm a huge analytics guy. So I was looking at the analytics and I saw that our community in the first month was like 80% guys and like 20% female. And that part really bothered me a lot because some of the strongest figures in my life was are, are, are women, right? And that's yeah. when I reached out to Maggie. I'm like, hey, that's more like candid. Hey, babe, I need you to step up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, I need you to post 20% more content. <laughs> yeah. I asked her, basically asked her to step up and be a role model and, and speak and show that, you know, women are the future and they are strong. And then we started staffing our team with a lot of women leaders on the team. Um, at that point, for some odd reason, it was partially my fault that the team was mainly uh, men. Mm. on the team and particularly east asian men and that's when i realized that okay we have a problem so i started staffing the team with more southeast asian 
um, some South Asians, uh, people, and then it, even more diverse. Like I have people from the LGBT, LGBTQ, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> LGBTQT. Yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> oh, yeah. Happy face. I was thinking liquid, the word liquid. Yeah. Liquid so we started, Anyways, fluid gender. Yeah. F. We, we <laughs> try to be fully inclusive. Yeah. Try to be fully inclusive, everyone. And then we have an adoptee on the team as well. And that really gave me a lot of insight of like, wow, like, this is this is a lot bigger than I thought, right? Just by Wait, staff so, my team alone. Yeah. So when you uh, made those changes, what actually changed on your page? That did that uh, obviously did that help change that yes. gender? So yeah, yes. we actually became like fifty two percent right now and forty eight percent women. Okay. Just because wow. we came up with a lot of different programs. Like last last year, we had the women empowerment event. We have all women CEOs come on to speak and really motivate, you know, the mm. next generation. And to to today, the seeds that we're planting, our Instagram is, and our our listeners I, on our podcast are like majority women, and mm. I, and I absolutely love that, right? Because because everything we we plan for is now now we're getting the fruit to our labor. Yeah, we we have trouble getting uh an equal ratio of women to the show. Not that that's the ultimate goal, but. Uh, we we are dude heavy in our guests, and so it's hard at times to to figure out what we can do to change that. Yeah, something something that I I think I'm de- uh, deducting from the deducing deducting from the emails and the correspondence. I'll I'll message both men men and women. I I'm an equal opportunity on that. I I would absolutely love to have women on that because my podcast is about careers, the paths of the careers, and what they've learned teach my audience and I find that women are apprehensive like they they either worry how they may look I've actually had one woman say she she fears that she looks too old and that mm-hmm. was her issue for being not being on this podcast mm-hmm. um, I've, I think what I get from the emails and stuff is they also fear being judged that's I, I think that's an unfortunate thing from our society I, I don't I'm not blaming them at all it's just I, I understand I mean, I could be Asian. I feared going to a workplace and not getting promoted, but they they live in a world of the of men running the society. So it's um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why I'm going on this tangent. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's really important for us to just make a safe environment, right? And it all comes into like branding. Like, what does your brand represent? You yeah. Know, for us, we always aim for safety and inclusiveness. Like, we want everyone to be a part of this journey. We want it to be for lack of a better word, one big happy family, right? Yeah. Because there's so much negativity in our community already. And when you look deeper, it's like, there's so much, there's so many of us are facing trauma, generational trauma, a lot of unlearning, scarcity mindset. We're going through that, that evolution right now. And I think it's imperative that the brand is like, okay, we're trying to combat that and create a safe environment for everyone. So, so how do we understand what Asian Hustle Network is? Is it uh, a place for sharing entrepreneurial stories, or how would you say it? What, what is? Yeah, yeah. I think the word hustle it really encompasses our entire organization. And what I mean by that is, like, we encourage a lot of people to share, you know, hustles from their family themselves. What kind of knowledge that they can give back? How can they help other people? How can people rise above? corporate ladder and get promoted and all that stuff. We want to hear all about that Asian Hustle Network, right? With the idea in mind, it's like we center a lot of things that we do uh, around the word hustle and how can we elevate our community. I mean, particularly 
we we're this is pretty uh we're just not really announced yet but we're launching our accelerator program and why we want to continuously invest in our community because that's never quite been there before right mm. and when we were planning the ahn conference in las vegas for uh april 2022 the last week to kick off asian heritage month with the same intention how come it took this long for an asian american conference to come about mm. right when we create this conference like you're doing like yeah. a convention at a uh, convention center yeah Is that... okay well, um so we're still booking a venue right now yeah we're still in the plans so it's gonna be las vegas for sure it's gonna kick out asian heritage heritage month oh yeah and, sign yeah, me up yeah i hope to see you guys there and when we're doing research we're like holy moly like there's no asian professional conference out there we're the first ones right god damn it <laughs> huh. you know? yeah you know, back to my figment of imagination what i what i envision what a conference would be <laughs> <laughs> there better be a cocktail mixer <laughs> oh yeah well, there is one <laughs> Nice. When uh, when did you happen, or did you leave your full time job and you're full you're full time on a a h n now? Yeah, yeah. It's almost been two years now. Believe it or not. So what I left was my, Asian hustling full time. Yeah. What was kind of yeah. the um, <clears throat> pivotal point where you were, or when you chose that? What were some of the factors? Oh man, I I had this full intention that when I turn thirty, I don't want to work for anyone. I want to work for myself. So two weeks before ten thirty, I put my two weeks notice in, and then I left without a plan. On your birthday, <laughs> oh, okay. That's how yeah. it's done. Yeah. I, Sink or I, swim, I, baby. I know. I feel so attached to my job before that it was a huge part of my identity. Like everything oh. about me was like Brian, the software engineer, or he's you know really smart, blah blah blah, and that was a huge part of my identity. I had to let go because I felt like I needed to give back and I need to do more. And I guess like the first three months was like, who am I? Why? <laughs> how come I can't? How am I having troubles buying like lunch because I feel broke every day? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, just going through like the the I can't do it part, just telling yeah. yourself over and over in your head that I can do this. That was the hardest part of like, man, like what am I doing? You know? Yeah. And then I feel like when that happens, like the universe sort of just helps you or tests you out, right? Like hmm. all of a sudden I had to start building a house as I'm jumping off a cliff. And then that's how I learned about sponsorships. I'm like, oh, wait, we can get sponsorship money. What the hell is that? Like, I have no idea how that works, you know? Yeah. Or sometimes I get tested because I get a recruiter reach out to me. And back in the Bay, I used to make, you know, over like around like high six figures, right? For my yeah. job. And I used to get tested. I'm like, damn it. They're offering me like half a million dollar package to go back to a job. I refuse. <laughs> you know? Wow. So, so that is mentality in my head that I was like, I don't care what it takes. I'm going to stay solo and I'm going to build this for the community. Right. And a part of me has a lot to prove because I want to prove that if you're building inside the Asian American space, it can still be very lucrative. And I have no examples to look at still. So I'm just building off what I think is right. <laughs> Wait. So what did you walk away from? Were you a Apple app developer or what? Uh... What, what exactly uh, software-wise was so lucrative? Because that's hard to walk away from a big salary. Yeah. Uh, I, used to be, I used to work as a site reliability engineer. And okay. that is a, the most in demand in the Bay. It's extremely hard to find a skill set. Mm. I would say that I, I fell into that by accident because one day my, when I first started my career, my manager was like, do you want to learn something really new? I'm like, okay. 
And ever since yeah. then, I got I got pigeonholed into psychological Brian, smart. Let's make him do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I couldn't find like a different genre of jobs. Like you're, once you're in there, you're, you're stuck. But it's like so niche that it's like it's necessary for each company to hire someone. Wow. Okay. Can uh, and feel free to uh, not say anything you're comfortable with. How, can you talk about financially? That's the jump from that. And then into Asian Hustle Network, because for some people, uh, taking a, a leave of absence, a, a prolonged amount of time away from work is is devastating. There's uh, yeah. some people may, if you're lucky enough to save up two years worth of savings or five years, and most people don't even have enough to cover one month. So can you just talk about leaving your job, how much you had and what you yeah. had uh, as a backup? What did yeah, you jump off tra- the cliff with? <laughs> uh, I'm very transparent. So when I left my job, that year in salary alone, I made $235,000. Mm. Um, that was a lot. That was a lot each month. Yeah, had that's a, bunch a of lot stock to options. anybody. I think at my bank at that time, I probably had a little over $100,000. Um, so that, I had a little bit of runway. But keep in mind that my rent was like insane in Ooh. SF. And like eating a bowl of pho was like 30 bucks. And it, just, it just goes out quick, right? So it's just really painful to leave and still try to build something in the Bay at that time. Hence, that's why I moved to Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, that, that was really difficult. And it's really like, what was that penny pinching? It's like every, yeah. like, I don't know when, when it rains, it pours, right? When I left my job, <laughs> it's like my water pipe broke and all these things broke. Oh, like, yeah. What the heck? <laughs> you know? Like just yeah. kick me, kick, like kick me down. Like RS came out to me a tax bill. I'm like, why now? <laughs> well, luckily, luckily in Vegas, you can get a nice bowl of fall for like nine bucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It went, it went like the first, I didn't pay myself like the, until like a year and a half into like everything. Right. So I was living off like, I already cut my salary in half. Now I'm living off like half of that. And it, it doesn't get, then it doesn't get replenished. Like it, kept, it keeps going one direction. I'm like, oh crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's crazy because I almost feel like I'm going to a, like a Super Mario racing game where it's like you're going to the checkpoint. And yeah. at one point, I was, I was pretty devastated because I'm like, oh my God, I'm really running out of money so quickly. And you're looking around and your friends are like buying nice houses, nice cars, and getting married. I'm like, oh my God, my, my whole life is delayed. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because. I'm, I refuse to come back to your job. Like, and then that's when it occurs to me, like I chose this pain, right? Yeah. And we're going to make the most of it. And that's when things started turning around because you would do things, you would do things you would never do unless you're pushed against the corner. So I started cold calling corporations, talking to a lot, as many entrepreneurs as I can, finding advisors. like, how the hell do you guys make money? Yeah. You know, and that was the hardest thing I had to figure out was like, how does Asian hustle network might make money? Wait, so did you, so you basically had a very popular Facebook page and you're trying to figure out how do I make this a business? Is that, yeah, is that the dilemma and that you're facing? That was, that was the dilemma I was facing, but at the same time, I was like, I kept, I don't know why I was telling myself, but it's, I didn't, I'm not doing this for the money, right? Mm-hmm. And because I had that mentality, like I kind of did everything for free. Like, yeah. I, I, host, I, I think I held like eight events to that changed other people's lives for free. Yeah. And I would just yeah. spread the money because to me, it's like, I'm not doing this for the money. Like I, I just want to help the community. And that went on for like a year. So I kept draining my savings oh. um, until one point where I guess someone kind of spoke some sense into me. He was like, you continue down this path, Brian, the whole thing's going to crashing down. 
and you're gonna the community loses something very valuable if you don't find a sustainable model and that's when i had to change my mindset of like you know making money for a good mission is not a bad thing that was yes. so hard for me to grasp right and that's when i started exploring like other options to to make money for asian hustle network it's like we can get sponsorships we can start a podcast we can do this and that so it pushed me to develop a lot of skill sets i never had before because before I'm, I'm just strictly a developer i don't know how to like talk to people and raise money and whatnot yeah um, but but as i was growing it was like okay like now i can create a sustainable business model through our directory offering value now people are subscribing to our network you know i can host private events for corporations Wait, there's a directory that, yeah we have a directory that's that's paid do, do you yeah. need a vegas realtor in your directory <laughs> we always we always need more more people in the directory it gets more right, valuable that way i'm gonna check out this directory yeah but it just you're just falling you're just feeling desperate at the time you know and you're like you know you're, i love helping worse. asians buy homes <laughs> yeah because <laughs> they have great jobs <laughs> so in uh 2018 you left your job you had 100k in the bank what uh what's uh how many members was ahn at that moment at that moment um it it was it wasn't enough to, to be any anything impressive. I think it was like forty thousand or something. Woo! I'm impressed. Yeah. That still wow. sounds like a lot. Um, and then at that point, well, uh, you're draining your hundred k out of the bank. At yeah. what point did AHN actually make some money? Because you're you're bleeding money. I'm guessing, right? You, yeah. There's no profit. Probably like a, a year and a half in, and it started. We're starting to like turn things around, and that was like Asian Heritage Month of like 2020. Oh, uh, oh wow okay yeah that's when i realized like oh wow like co- companies are now companies want our target audience like yeah and then, then i realized that there's there's a lot of companies i don't want to work with but those that believe the asian like in uplifting the asian community i work with you guys mm-hmm. right um that's when i started formulating like a business plan and like okay like we're, we're gonna do this and that and that's hence like and then the hard, well, now, the now i'm part, really like, curious what companies you don't want to work with <laughs> i'm not gonna say i don't like to burn bridges okay well <laughs> well talk about is it a morality issue like to talk about a high level stuff that you could mention about like that? a porn stuff yeah uh <laughs> <laughs> i i guess you could say it's a morality issue i just i just don't like companies that are led by people who uh put down other communities of color before oh um, so that's that's something that i, I personally don't like gotcha and then, so you, you at 40,000 members in 2018 and then, mm-hmm. uh, and then, so you already, I mean, when was the, uh, that viral growth where you went, you said the first month, when was the first month? That was 2017? Uh, uh, no, the viral growth happened like 2019, like towards the end. Mm. But then, uh, um, yeah. Okay. So the idea behind Asian Hustle Network started in 2018, but the community didn't officially launch until late 2019 oh. for clarification. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Get your story straight, Lim. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. get this story straight. <laughs> so then it jumped like from zero. Mem- I mean, in 2019, how many members did you have before you launch? Or did uh, it was at, literally at zero at that point? It was literally at zero at that point. So, I mean, you had, uh, you said, did you have like 25 staff members or that was after that? Uh, I was like getting people on board with the planning process at that point. Volunteers. Uh, volunteers. Yeah. That's right. 
it's like at that point I was like, I'm so sure I'm gonna be a nonprofit. Everything I do sounds like a damn nonprofit. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, and then I realized that you know it's better for us to be a C corp because as we're incorporating for a nonprofit, they there was a lot of restrictions of what we could do with the funds, right? Hurdles that it, it didn't really make sense for us to go down that that route. So 2019, you opened the doors at zero, and then mm-hmm. you were able to with that within one month, like jump to 40,000. Uh, in one month, it was like 10,000 and then it hit 20, 30, 40 in like a month and a half. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you think part of that success? I mean, I know you said you're planning and whatnot. So the 25 staff members at that point, was it them blasting their social media or is that part of, was that, I don't know, is that was in in your plans? That was in my plans. Yes. So I particularly picked people over the world. Say, Um, Say that again. I picked people in the team all over the world. Oh, they, yeah, around the world. They're not yeah. just yeah. in California. They're not just in New York. They're in every place. Like Singapore, Australia, UK, uh, with the intention that I wanted to um, leverage their quote-unquote weak connections to right. other Asians that I have never met before. That I kind of have a theory that they'll resonate with our mission. And for the longest time, uh, we were actually growing really, really fast in Australia to the point where we we hosted two events out there, nice. two oh, awesome. two uh, pre conference events out in, yeah. in Melbourne and in Brisbane. And that yeah. was like the most gnarly experience I ever ever did because we planned an event in Australia to a country I had never been to. Yeah, a team I had with a team I never met in life. Oh wow! And we're just like. You know, hopping on Zoom calls late at night, like for a couple hours, working through the details. There's a lot of trust involved. Working, figuring out how to send international money without the high fees, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and getting that money back too was like, it was it was a huge leap of leap of faith. And honestly, they blew they blew me away. Like I, the level of production was like far above anything I ever imagined a volunteer team would ever ever do. Nice. I I visited Australia back in 2006 or something, and I was surprised at how many Asian faces I saw in Sydney um, because the American stereotype and the American, uh, you know, view of Australia is very limited. Yeah, but if you look on a a freaking globe, you know, what's the closest thing to Australia is a bunch of Asia. Yeah. So, you know, uh, there was, you know, a ton of Vietnamese boat people literally landed in Australia, and uh, I was I was just shocked to you know, we actually went to a pho restaurant <laughs> in Australia. So it's crazy to think, hey, like there's a bunch of Asians in Australia. Who would have guessed that that would be the yeah, case? There's a lot of Asians there, and I almost feel like they have like such a California vibe, you know, because they're next to the water. They're very fashionable. Um, <laughs> it's it look pretty laid it's, back. It's, yeah, it looks pretty laid back to be honest. Yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty unique too because. I remember talking to them. They're like, oh, like, like Asian American entrepreneurs are, are like top of the top. You guys are the best. When I look at them, I'm like, you guys are, you guys are a lot better than us over here. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know where this perception is coming from, you know? And it's really cool hearing their stories, especially their parents' story, because a lot of them came to Australia to seek a better life, just how our parents came to America for us to seek a better life. Mm-hmm. Very similar stories. And then I started hearing this common theme about Asians in Canada and Asians in the UK. And it's the same story. 
right? Yeah. And it's like Va- Vancouver's oh, wow, mostly like, Chinese, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Joe, can you attest? Yeah. Uh, from what I've heard, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been there. I can't verify. <laughs> but yeah, it has a disproportionate amount of uh, Asians compared to a lot of other places in Canada. Yeah. Well, you're talking about Vancouver, Canada, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. It's you know, not I'm, Vancouver, I'm Vancouver Washington? Washington. Yeah, that's where I'm at. So <laughs> I just want to make sure that we're talking about the right thing here. <laughs> yeah. Close enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's only a three hour drive, whatever. So so Asian Hustle Network started as a Facebook page. Um, is there more mm-hmm. to it? Is there tweeting? Is there a website? Is there Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a lot more in AsianHustleNetwork.com. And yeah. come January, that's when we're gonna make the full conversion over to like like an Asian BuzzFeed model. And the way that we plan to do that is like we want to reach out to all the other Asian magazines who are standalone and be yeah. able to stream their content onto our platform because we have the distribution for it. Right. Nice. And what I realized in a very sad light is that most Asian magazines don't last that long mm. because there's no solid business model behind it. And it's really hard to maintain passion over X amount of years. So Just shout people, out to all the people finish college and they go to their career. <laughs> yeah. So shout out to people that are making are still making it happen. But right now it's like I feel like my challenge is how can I make that sustainable for everyone else? And a new I, problem that happens to me is like I want to help like new Asian creatives, directors break into you know a, a bigger audience because I feel like a lot of talent out there are still under undiscovered, especially in the Asian community. And when you look at like Netflix and whatnot, you see the same five actors. You know, you look at your movies, the Marvel movies, the same one Asian guy in all the Marvel movies. <laughs> it's like, it's, not it's, yeah. it's getting better. <laughs> yeah, we have two now or three. I don't know. Um, do, do we talk about Shang Chi now, or do you want to do that later? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are, are we down with Shang Chi? Uh, yeah, I, I have actually have not watched watched Shang Chi yet. Yeah, but we actually bought out a movie theater in Boston uh, for students actually to watch the movie. Oh, cool. Wow. Nice. Yeah. So we're doing our part to sort of promote as well, but I'm waiting until it comes on Netflix or something or Hulu so I can watch it. <laughs> yeah. It's on the, it's on the Disney plus network right now. Is okay. it really? Yeah. It's cause it's under that Marvel. I think all the Marvel movies are yeah. on the Disney. I didn't, I didn't know it was even out yet for streaming. It's good to know. Uh, a couple, a couple weeks ago or something. Yeah. yeah. A few weeks ago. <laughs> So Brian, for the AHN, uh, on the surface, when people join up, they think of it probably as just a, a way to kind of network, right? What mm-hmm. What do you think would would you? How would you describe describe it better for someone that that's just coming new to it? Like, what other services should they know about, or things that AHN is doing? You can buy out my theater. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Essentially, I see AHN as the ecosystem where I want to like hear stories, promote each other, uplift uplift each other, create conferences. So what I'm saying is that I want like a whole ecosystem where it's like the, the more experienced Asian entrepreneurs give back their knowledge to the new ones. As they make it through the process, they share their stories that this is not easy, but it's worth it, right? And when they make it to the top, it's like, we want to have them back at our conference, right? Gotcha. And once they, once they come back to our conference, it's like, you know, maybe perhaps I want to... That's why we're starting our accelerator program. We want the, the really well-off people to invest back into our generate into our community, right? So we want like a huge ecosystem and hub for all things Asian, not Asian excellence per se, but like Asian hustle. Like you want so, us to be more seen in society. 
So when you say there's an accelerator program where someone invests back in the community, uh, yes, I, I, I know what that means, but I don't actually know what that means. Like, what does that really look <laughs> like? Like, I understand those words, yeah. but what's actually happening? Is it like some successful person mentors somebody uh, or gives money to a cause or how does this? Something more of like a syndication type of uh, syndicate fund where it's like, you know, we're going to rotate a roster like accredited investors up to like you invest thousand dollars at a bare minimum or higher than that into a fund until it becomes like a one or two million dollar fund mm-hmm. and what we want to do with that is like we want to make sure that the funding is reinvested to young talent or new talent or any people that aspiring entrepreneurs right so young talent is not the right word so aspiring entrepreneurs and allow them to sort of like take that risk and reduce okay. the stress and see their ideas valid you know also when someone's invested into another person's company they're also invested into the, like the like the success of the company so that actually encouraged a lot of mentorship that we're still lacking within the community yeah and that's the way that i was planning to to envision how the accelerator would work and i don't even know how this happened but like i don't know why a lot of people come to me to raise money <laughs> like, Brian, you get the can people. You help, <laughs> can you help me raise money for my company? Yeah. And I didn't know that was a skill set I had. So <laughs> I ended up helping like, like 15 or 16 companies uh, raise money. And some of them were able to raise up to like five to $10 million. Just that's when I started to realize like, wow, like, I, maybe I do have a knack for this. How can I make it more efficient? To help yeah, that's crazy. I also need money for my company. <laughs> 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 Brian, you're the man I've been waiting for. <laughs> and yeah. actually, let's let's run with that for a second. If someone like Emmett, if or someone that said those words to you, like said, "Hey, I need money for my business." What are your What are your questions? What are your pre qualifying questions that you usually ask them? How do I game this system? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. <laughs> I typically ask them like what is their company what's their mission right what is their growth what was the money going to be used for how they structured you know why are they even raising because i think the misconception is like raising is a great thing but raising sometimes you give up control and you bring in unwanted investors that tell you to do what to do right so i always ask them like what's their mission behind this because if you can demonstrate that they're literally on the verge of exponential growth and they're doing something great for society one particular app that that one particular founder that came to me that i'm so inclined to help her because what she's creating is like a new food delivery app that doesn't undercut the the the, the restaurant owners oh i like that and and i'm like man this is such a great company like this is what we need right and so i'm more inclined to like help people when you come to me with such a great mission so in essence yeah. like i i find people that are good by nature and not really mercenaries it's really easy to find someone that's a mercenary Right, with the way they pitch and the way they talk about the customer, it's more like, I just have to squeeze all money out of them type of thing. I'm like, right, I'm not inclined yeah. to to help you to do to do those type of things because I want people who want to make genuinely want to make the world a better place. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how I approach uh, being a realtor. It's um, it's not how much money can I maximally make. You know, it's not commission focus. It's is how do I help people get into these homes? How do I help this person sell their home and move on to their next life? And if I do everything great, then I'll get a commission at the end. And whatever I have to do to get the best result, like I would much rather have a happy client. You know, I'd much rather have a great result 
that like I there's I'm not gonna say I had a transaction where I didn't yeah I've had a couple transactions where I didn't make money and I I mm. put the money the money wasn't first right but yeah. any anything I can do to to sacrifice to get the person the result I've done that so yeah um, and you know and they're not all like that you know there are some transactions that are super easy and great and profitable um, but when it's hard you know you find ways to help people. Yeah, ideally, I I like that mindset a lot. It's always yeah. about helping other people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for the A A H N. Um, dang, I had a question. I for, I forgot. Um, <laughs> the co- the convention is coming this summer. I wonder what's the plan. Uh, yes. So it's the set, the set dates are April twenty eighth and twenty ninth of two thousand twenty two, in Vegas, in Las Vegas. Yes. Can I cosplay to this uh, convention? If you want, we're not going to say no. Not that kind of convention? It makes it easier to find you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I will be in the Mario Kart gear. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I had this question for like 30 minutes now. And I just... <laughs> it was a burning question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I think it's... Oh, okay. So... So the idea of uh, making money off a of Facebook group, like I, I guess that should have done, or that should have been obvious, I guess to some degree. So it's just it's crazy for me to hear your story, Brian, where you created this Asian Hustle Network and then you are able to make a profit, or I think you're making a profit of some sort. You're at least able yeah. to sustain yourself to keep the group sustainable. Um, yeah. Is there any thoughts where you think like? In the beginning, someone could have stole it. This group could have gone down to zero. Was there yeah. any risk that you took? I mean, I know, I know you burned through some of your money in, in the beginning, but yeah. I, when I say that all that, what, what comes to mind? Um, I was, I never really held back when people asked me, like, how'd you start your group? Mm-hmm. I always told them step by step, this is what exactly what I did, you know? And I find that execution is everything. Even even if someone told you today, like how do you make a, how do you make X amount of money, you may have followed that step by step, and it may may not work for you because of your personality, right? So when at the very beginning, people were like, I saw a bunch of groups that even copy our our text and colors down to like T, <laughs> right? And to be honest, like I wasn't mad or disappointed in any way. I I actually reached out. Some of them reached out to me and asked me how I did it, and I told them exactly how I did it, but. I think one people that always underestimate is like passion does feel, goes a long way. And that when you're building community, it's a very, it's a lot of ungrateful work most of the time because yeah. you're putting in all this time and effort and someone's just like straight up, straight up finds something wrong with you and start yelling at you and all this stuff. Um, so I guess a lot of people couldn't really get over that hump. Right. Mm-hmm. But the communities that I want to shout out to is like subtle Asian real estate, like mm-hmm. the founder of that reached out to me during his initial days. And I gave him all the instructions. He and he took my advice. And today, it's they. I think they just hit like ten thousand members like yesterday or oh, something. Wow. And they actually had a startup come out out of their community as well that just went to YC and raised five point five million dollars in their seed round. Nice. And I was like, man, like that's the power of community of abundance, right? I want to. I keep telling people too. I actually want to see more organizations like Asian Hustle Network because it helps us all when we see more communities like this. Right, because I don't think that there should be a gatekeeping between one or two communities. I think there should be a lot more if you want to continue driving change. Because in retrospect, yeah, eighty thousand sounds great, but you're trying to make changes in the world, especially 
even not, even, not just the world, like changes in the United States, 80,000 is just dropping the bucket. You're not going to be seen or be heard, right? So we need yeah. ourselves in like the millions like mobilizing the community in order for us to, to make permanent change and not just like temporary change. We need a network, not a bottleneck. <laughs> yeah. Did you kind of know ahead of time that, I, I, I guess it's to me, it's still, my mind is still stuck on. <laughs> how did how, you see the future? How did you see, <laughs> how did you know the yeah. shit was going to work? Like, if, okay, let me, let me just walk you through my train, my, my yeah, yeah. train of thought. That's the way. So if, if I was going to create a Facebook group and I'm like, okay, I want to help Asians. Like I can't even fathom like, Hey, this could actually make money. Like, I, I guess that's, how did you yeah. know that? Or how did you foresee that? I, I did not foresee that. Like I, like I said before, like I didn't did this naively because I wanted change. I was so upset with everything. Oh. Right? Uh, Use your anger. That's when the universe the started, started guided me towards like the right people that really like sat down with me and be like, this is how you're going to generate some income. Like these are some of the prices that you can mark up. But a lot of it, obviously, you can't just sit back and expect things to happen to you. You have to go out there and like just hustle for it, right? So I talked to not community leaders, other community leaders, but I asked like nonprofit organizations. I asked media companies, how do you guys make money? Right. Mm. And a lot of, a lot, most of the time they'd be like, okay, I make money through subscription, newsletters, sponsorships. And those kept words kept popping up in my mind. That sounds really like unfamiliar to me at that time. So yeah. when I looked into it, I realized that a lot of big corporations have a budget that they had to spend by the end of the year just on marketing you know and they're they're not going to just spend on anything but you when you're extremely niche and you hit, hit that criteria that they'll drop like six figures or whatnot on sponsorship oh, nice. right yeah at what point did that so you're saying you you talked to some people that told you about getting sponsorships basically yeah. prior to that about what time what year did you not even know about sponsorships so or i guess when did you talk to them what year yeah yeah again like ideation happened in 2018 a lot of planning getting off the team getting ready i you know started like tweeting and blogging and then execution happened in 2019 november 2019 went, went viral just in time to hit covid in 2020 mm-hmm. um and then that's when things started really popping off I'm like oh yeah and then the asian community is really coming together and searching for a community and the asian hustle network was right there at the right time to sort of take everyone in and give everyone a lot of comfort. And from that moment, a lot of things happened during the, the, the start of COVID. I actually helped founded hate is a virus campaign. Uh, I'm not sure you guys heard of that, but we actually host Mm. a bunch of rallies across the United States to stop Asian hate. Right. And the the campaign went super viral, hit like 30 million impressions, got sponsored by Hennessy, all these like other corporations started to hop on that. That's when, the model came around that you know hate the virus can actually get sponsorship money just to like pay for rallies and like all these things and that's from that experience i learned that i can actually redirect some of that to asian hustle network right and that's when asian heritage Month was around the corner and i think someone dm me or something was like can you can asian hustle network speak in my company we'll pay you fifteen thousand for 45 minutes i'm like what the heck <laughs> like, what, what, is, what is going on <laughs> yeah buddy get and it that was like the the light bulb moment i was like holy 
crap like you make something happen from this no you gotta negotiate you gotta be it's fifteen thousand and a bottle of hennessy motherfuckers (laughs) (laughs) yeah i just like to know that while i'm drinking henny i'm supporting uh anti-asian hate yeah (laughs) is that correct and like yes (laughs) there are some companies that drop like a 100k check to like hate the virus during that campaign wow and that's like well that's when i was like looking to like this is i didn't know marketing was such a huge profitable feel and agency you're starting to reach out to us and be like hey like can we collaborate with you like we'll pay you x amount and then i started looking to the agency model I'm like, this is how you guys make a shit ton of money <laughs> you know <laughs> and then, and that's that's when i brought everything back and i was like okay i i can make this sustainable for the community right yeah. and that was, that was my main thought of like when i was running out of money hella fast i was like i can make this sustainable now I just, yeah, yeah. How, you can't now, help anybody if you know, can't buy lunch. Now I know how to hire, what to, what to look for, you know, what kind of talent I need to look for. And it's like, okay, like we can make this work for sure. Was there any point where you looked at your finances and said, holy shit, I could only last three more months, six more months or something? You have no idea. <laughs> There's plenty of times where I was just really sad to be honest like i I was like really really sad because i'm just like i just want to do this for the asian community i just want to see a better generation and then you know and i also felt kind of sad it's like almost like self-pity in a way where it's like like no one really knows what i'm going through right now because also i'm projecting someone that's like strong and you know keeping the community together because at that time it's like we needed someone strong right but there's a lot of infighting already of like you know, Asian hate was rising. A lot of different opinions, like we should defend our community with guns and whatnot. Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Rooftop <laughs> Koreans. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> so it, yeah, it was a tough time. I couldn't really the, the sheer amount of messages I was getting at that moment too, when Asian crime was going off the hook, was like I think I was getting like like 600, 700 DMs like a week. Wow, and that seriously, like, for lack of a better word, fucked with my mental health a lot. Because yeah. all I see was like problems after problems, and problems when I was going broke myself. <laughs> it's just wow. like, how yeah. do I solve everything? I'm yeah. poor myself. You uh, know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did you happen to see the FBI report where they said they did uh, record seventy five percent higher Asian hate during the last last or this year? Last. Yeah, since COVID. Saw, yeah, since COVID, uh, it's still extremely high. The numbers are really ridiculously high, mm. and the job's not done. You know, it's like, now it's like I feel like my mindset's in a better state because you guys are right. Earlier, like you can't if you don't take care of you know yourself, you can't take care of anyone. So I spent most most of twenty twenty one taking care of my team and myself, and now we find ourselves in positions that we could do more. You know, we we help organize some of the elderly patrol um, in Chinatowns because guess what? When people don't have to worry about when their next meal is coming, they can actually worry about the community. Yeah. I wish we had known you when you were struggling. We could have totally bought you lunch. (laughs) (laughs) If you end up struggling again, call us for lunch. We got you. (laughs) We'll take you to $9 pub. I hope hope those days are behind me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, out of curiosity, when so when you did the anti-Asian or stop the Asian hate uh, campaign or hate is a virus, hate, hate is a virus. Yeah, did was that directly from AHN 
pushing that or was that a separate entity that that could connect it to you or how uh, so shout out to my co-founder michelle hanabusa so michelle posted inside asian hustle nowhere she said we need to come together and stop the asian hate and i, I look at her profile and i'm like all right i think she looks like someone that can execute because i saw like a bunch of like you know activism stuff uh-huh. so i dm there i said hey like she still has my DM that she shows off during like, our galas and everything. <laughs> and she's like, I DM her. I'm like, hey, I, I love what you're doing. Let's formalize this into an organization. You know? And, and mine that at that time, I was broke as heck from age and Ray. Now, and my, out of my mouth, it's like, oh, I'm forming another company to be extra broke. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh, but my, my heart was always there at, at the right time. Um, and then another girl, Tammy Cho, DM her from a different uh she also tweeted this too she also dm her from, from from twitter and us three came together and we're like okay like let's let's do something for the asian community right and that's when everything i learned from asian hustle network after that point combined with people can with, it, with people that can actually do, like market stuff mm. and put things in order and make it pretty like a pain went like super viral like i got picked up by all these outlets I was ABC Seven News. I was on Business Insider. I was nice. whatever magazine you name it. I was on the, on there. Um, but I, we're trying to like mainly spread like the message that we need to, need to stop Asian hate, right? And I yeah. feel like at that point, I felt like talk was cheap. I wanted to see more action, so we like raised the community fund and then uh, started hosting like rallies across the United States. You know, uh, the first time in my life where I stepped on the podium in front of like a thousand people. Wow. In San Jose, like very passionate, angry Asian Americans. That I felt at that point, it was like I, I don't know. It was really it's hard to describe it when you're on stage. Did you feel like Martin Luther King? In some ways, yes. I, didn't, <laughs> I don't want to say that, but like it just we the like, people. No, that's wrong. It can easily go either way, depending on, <laughs> on the mob who, might tear you apart. <laughs> no, like no. You can easily, you can feel like you can do it. That sounds really bad, but it's, it feels like you can pervade, <laughs> like you can make the crowd like violent or not violent. Uh, right. Yeah. And it was that energy that I was like, oh crap, like there's a lot of power in this. And I need to be very responsible with what I say and how I encourage the community. Oh, uh, right? you could be so, MLK or you can be uh, Malcolm X. Yeah. I was trying not to be Malcolm <laughs> X. Right. And, I just felt that like the, the emotions and pure emotions. This is a point where you're on stage and like thousands of people are looking at you and like almost like straight emotions and tears in their eyes of anger and frustration. Yeah. And it was like up to you. And you always, you have like imposter syndrome in the middle of your speech on stage. You're like, why me? Like I'm just I'm just a nobody. Like I'm just mm. a normal person. No, but, but I think uh, you did the organizing and the collecting and the connecting that somehow you became the focus of this this need right i, I think that's yeah. part of uh ahn's success is that you you hopped into obviously a void where something was needed so it seems like you, you yeah. know since you're running it then 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 the need is hey we need you to be a public figure too perhaps yeah, in that that's, moment that's, that was a scary part right um I, yeah i just one thing after another but the i just at that point i was like i kept encouraging the community to be positive and we need to look out for each other 
you know, we need to speak up. I was like, I'm encouraging those words. It's like, we're no longer a generation where we have to assimilate. We can be a generation where we can stand out and be loud because that's how you play the game nowadays, right? You're not getting any done unless you're loud. You take a space and you speak up. Yeah, you know, that's, that's excellent. I, I like that point change. a lot. Yeah. In, in a lot of uh, Asian cultures, it is uh, very common to not be loud. I mean, that's probably the simplest way to put it, but to not be outspoken yeah. or to be to to be outside of social norms. So you're right. Yeah. A lot of first generation Asians like our parents, you know, just trying to get by. Right. Put your head down and do the work and, and don't cause yeah. any trouble. So there's actually a network that came before Asian Hustle Network <laughs> that I draw inspiration from. They were actually a TV network. It's called for <laughs> it's called AZN Networks. And yeah, they, I remember they that closed, back in the day. It was on TV. It was on real cable, right? Yeah. 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 It closed, they closed in 2008. I felt like their mission was amazing, but they were a little bit too early for their time. And yeah. They're literally telling our parents to to stand out. <laughs> so <laughs> the timing wasn't right. And I feel like nowadays, like the timing is excellent, right? Like we can, can build off of this now and continue motivating the younger yeah. generation, our generation, that where we are amazing. It is cool to be Asian and that we should speak out more. Yeah. I'm seeing a lot of uh, Korean culture through entertainment um you know obviously boy korean boy bands korean bands um yeah k-pop is super popular i think anime has been a huge influence in younger generations of exposure and excitement about asian culture um and a lot of i mean i'll, I'll mention shang chi real quick uh i think there's a pretty cool portrayal of kind of the asian american experience um yeah. for anybody who hasn't seen it it's kind of a neat window to say hey look you know everybody else can see kind of what it's like sometimes to be an asian american where look bro i'm not chinese i'm not actually from another country i grew up here i speak english but everybody sees me as asian so it was kind of a cool portrayal and, and to a yeah. widespread audience so that was really neat um, yeah so I, I think it's cool that we're we're getting inroads into popular entertainment right so Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. yeah. Crazy it's, Rich yeah. Asians, it was kind of a movie where uh, the lead romantic dude was put <laughs> forth as, you know, super, you know, dashing, Prince Charming, an awesome, you know, male uh, attractive role, right? So there, there's all these firsts that are coming through. And then now Netflix has ported in a lot of um, Korean TV Korean and dramas. movies. Yeah. yeah. So I think just that, that volume of exposure is... is you know, obviously they're just Koreans have a great, I'm sorry, the Korean TV and movie industry has a great production value and it's enough yeah. to where Netflix is saying, Hey, we could just use these TVs and movies and present this, this content just as it is. Well, let's not forget Parasite, yeah. which won best picture, you know? Yeah. yeah I mean, awesome. I yeah. mean that weird, um, what is it? The uh, squid games is the yeah. most popular yeah. thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's crazy. I mean, that's kind of a weird thing, but. I mean, a lot of Asian media used to be way more, uh, you know, niche and, uh, you know, you had yeah. to kind of seek it out, you know, like kind yeah, of, I'm, yeah. I'm a big fan of like a lot of Asian uh, action shit, like the raid and uh, um, Tony Jaa movies and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. but I, I feel like exactly what you're saying is becoming more mainstream and more recognized on a, yeah. On, a yeah. on a global scale. And that's really cool. Our time is now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> 
also time is uh nine nine oh seven. So Brian, if you want to stay on, we'd we'd love it. But if you have to go, you could go. Um No, I'll stay on a little bit longer. I, I feel like I'm finally getting in the mood. I had like a long day. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, just let let us know when whenever we'll just continue shooting the shit. Yeah. Um yeah. the other the other week I went to a party. I told this story probably to I think Joe and Emmett already, but um I was hanging out with uh, some friends and one of uh, one of my friends at the party, he's a half black, half Indian guy. But for the sake of the story, he's like, black, like Native American Indian. Yeah. Yeah. Native yes. American. Um, he was at the party and then his daughter was there. And then I, I remembered him mentioning his daughter likes K-pop. His daughter is 12 or 13 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I was kind of I was super interested because as having Asians in, in mainstream media. So then I asked her like, Hey, what's your favorite, uh, um, K-pop song. Can you put it on? So they had, um, they had like, um, music, uh, a music player where you could just connect your phone and choose a song and it'd play on YouTube. So she chose a, a BTS song. And then, um, I think there was, two, there's another, there's a girl band and then another BTS song, but it was, was it Mama Moo? I don't remember. Okay. Um, and then, uh, it was just to me, this moment, uh, I don't know if, uh, I don't think Emmett being half Vietnamese, he probably doesn't get to feel this. Uh, maybe Brian, you could maybe connect with me on this. There's a moment at that, that part at that night for me where I was like, this is fucking awesome. There's somebody that's not Asian who's like really into Asian stuff and showing me that they like it. And I was like. I haven't felt this since my high school friends made making fun of Bruce Lee. So there's a difference between saying Bruce Lee is cool and them also still making fun of Bruce Lee. There's some yeah. people will try to tell me like, oh, Bruce Lee's really cool. I'm like, well, yeah, he's great. He's great. But he didn't, he didn't do, unfortunately, whatever happened with culture and society, I don't feel like he did a, there wasn't a, a massive positive outcome with Bruce Lee, in my opinion. Some people might, I'm not saying he's bad. I'm not saying that at all. He, he did more good, but still my high school friends were making fun of Bruce Lee. The, oh, I'm sorry. Let me add to the story. My high school was a bunch of white people. I was like one of the few Asians. So for the white people to, uh, my white high schooler friends were making fun of Bruce Lee. So that was something that I had to put up with. So for me, I'm 39 years old now. So you're talking about 21 years later can I feel this moment where I'm like, fuck, this is awesome. This little moment, this little fucking little moment for me to feel, yes, Asians are getting in the uh, mainstream and not being picked on. So Asians are cool now. Yeah. I think part of the problem with Bruce Lee is he was a uh, impressive Kung Fu fighter and all of the respect and admiration to him was purely based on, he could kick me in the face so fast that I don't have a chance, (laughs) but it didn't carry any other, any of the other status or social acceptance, you know, it was purely that physical yeah. uh, activity or that athletic ability. You know, aside from that, he's making funny noises when he's about to punch your face. Yeah. Yeah. It, it almost worked to perpetuate uh, what, what I guess traditional Westerners would think of when exactly. they thought about like, you know, yeah. Asians in general. Yeah. Cause they could say the uh, Ching Chang Chong thing. They're like, Oh, Bruce Lee's saying that too. I was like, not, I mean, yeah. not really, but yeah. So. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, Brian for, uh, uh, tell me about Maggie. So you, did you meet her prior to starting AHN or did you meet her through, uh, did you already create AHN and then meet her? 
uh we we were already dating already for about two years yeah um and she 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 knows this too i was telling her a bunch of ideas for like the entire previous two years what i want to do yeah well i always felt like i was i was just talking and i wasn't backing up anything right and then i don't know there's something about like when i turned 30 it was like that moment where it's like i felt like it was all or nothing right you so did it I, man I, all these years of just talking 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 like i just wanted to put things into motion right and where and she's very supportive to be honest like i don't think she have once said anything negative about any of my ideas so i i think that i'm very blessed and grateful to have her in my life because i think that it can easily go the other way if someone wasn't as supportive in mind that at the time i would i would say i was the most confident person but over time like i was i was very passionate overly passionate but like not very confident in my own abilities Mm. Uh, but over time the confidence caught up to the passion and now i feel like this is just the beginning you know i feel like i, I can do anything and that's a lot of it has to do with maggie believing into me at the very beginning did you meet her in 2017 or 2016 2016 yeah i actually I, met was, her in halloween was there by any chance <laughs> halloween party where you cosplaying an anime character <laughs> I was a Pikachu. You're right. <laughs> um, was there a Gets mo- him every time. <laughs> um, was there a moment when you're, so you're, when you're bleeding money, creating AHN, you left your job. Was there any moment where you're like, fuck Maggie, Maggie's probably going to leave me. She doesn't believe <laughs> like in your mind. Did you think that? Uh, she never made me feel that way at all. In fact, I felt even worse when she was paying for like my lunches and dinners at one point. Yeah. Right. All she was saying, babe, keep going, don't quit. You know? Wow. Wow. I just felt, yeah. felt, felt, maybe felt comfort and shit at the same time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I was <laughs> just like, oh, I have someone to take care of me. But oh, I have someone to take care of me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. yeah I'll, I'll, um, if you ever want any, any, the, any three of us on your podcast ever, feel free. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm a software engineer. I've been doing it for 20 years. I'm in real oh, estate. Wow. Uh, Joe has, uh, he's doing like electrical engineering stuff. I think he, Joe, I've, you still I've there? been hustling for 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I had to use the restroom really quick. Oh, I was just telling, I, uh, I didn't want to interrupt. Oh, do you want to tell Brian a little bit what you do? And then, um, what's that? I'll jump it. You want to tell Brian what you do for work just in case he ever wants to, uh, bring you onto his podcast for any reason? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I'm an electrical engineer. Um, I've worked for the fiber optic industry. I currently work for uh, the utility industry. Um, it's pretty much it, actually. Okay. <laughs> so, and I keep on telling them, like, I think this is a retirement thing, as in, uh, not retirement. I want this hobby in my retirement. It's also. the passion. Yes, yeah. exactly. Like your passion for AHN, I, I feel that with my podcast. I don't have the yeah. numbers in viewerships or subscribers, but I feel the magic's there. Mm. Um, yeah. I hope that it's just a matter of time to get there. So yeah, it's just a matter of time. It's a little bit strategic thinking, but it's a matter of time, right? Because you're gonna have to leverage every single wave that can help you, every single app. You can't just be like, that's for kids and whatnot. That's not the right mentality to grow, right? You have to embrace change if you wanna continue rising yeah. with the crowd. Yeah, that's that's my take on it. I never feel like anything's beneath me or above me. Like, 
Yeah. I'll, if someone's willing to teach me, I'll sit down and learn, right? Yeah. Whether or not I apply something or apply it at all, that one-liner or one word can change anyone's life. And that's usually what I look for when I talk to people. Yes, I'm sharing wisdom to change people's lives on this podcast. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> so when when you were starting AHN, you I think you mentioned you didn't know you didn't think that there would be a financial model that would you didn't even think about that when you started. It's strictly just a passion. Yeah, I strictly thought about the problems and I wanted solutions. And right. it, was it just when you started draining the hundred thousand that you were like? maybe I need to do something or what was the, what was the um, moment for you there? When I realized it wasn't when I, my saving was drained was when people on my team actually left their jobs because they believed in our mission. Wow. Nice. When their, when their money was drained, I felt enormous pressure to yeah. make it sustainable because I, I feel confident in my, in my own abilities to scrap something up if I have to like drive Uber or something, but I don't want someone else to do, do that, especially for, my mission mm-hmm. right or whatever company mission is and hearing like stuff like, like I'm, I'm running to financial trouble was like the 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 driving factor for me to be like we need to be sustainable like, i can't yeah i can't change the world and harm my team's life with that right and that driving factor of what i needed to take care of my team so we can do great things together was a driving factor for me to start do things I would never do. What are some of the beautiful stories that has happened in the last four years or three, three to four years of AHN? So uh, <laughs> Hennessy, that's a highlight. <laughs> Went down to Australia, gave a speech um, in front of a thousand people. It, it, it wasn't so much the monetary side. No. That, that was that, that was the, the beautiful moment. The beautiful moment was like seeing our seeing the community function on its own now. It's like a very beautiful thing. Like very nice. self-policing and having people answer questions. When someone, I see like a comment, someone's like, okay, someone's like, what's the point of Asian Hustle Network? Like in one of the comments. And someone was like, mm-hmm. this is a community so we can support each other and hear each other's story. I'm like, that's beautiful. Nice. You know, to hear other people say that, say it, that it's not me. And like talk to strangers about that. I was like, man, that's a beautiful moment. And I guess other be- beautiful moments was, I guess like, all right, this is this is considered beautiful in my mind, but like I had a couple of people last year reach out to me and they're like they were contemplating suicide. Mm. And to me, I was like, holy moly, like that's crazy. And they told me that there were people in the community that um they resonated the story with and they actually talked to them and they talked to them out of depression. Right. And that was like a holy moly moment where it's like, wow, like this is a lot bigger than me. Like that's is, awesome. Yeah. This, this, this is more, this is a lot bigger than me now. And that's like my why nowadays when things get really, really hard. There are days where I'm just like, I just want to shut everything down. It's so much <laughs> unsung work. I just, I just get Don't do it, Brian. Heads, you know? <laughs> we need you. There we need you. Days, like, like any entrepreneurs, right? You just Don't suicide the network. Like, yeah, you just have those days where you're just like, just want everything to like stop because all you're so busy. And you're just like, you know, just working, working, working all the time. And yeah. you just wanted to stop. But then when you get moments like those, it's like, dang, like, this is awesome. Like, this is, this is what I wanted for the community. This is what I wanted 
when when I was at my darkest moments and when I was starting out in my own career, I wanted something like this. Mm. And seeing this happen for other people, it's this one of those moments where I'm like, this is why I do what I do. Let's keep going. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. Um, what what's um what are some challenges that that you face? Um, a lot. The, uh, uh, it could be personal, it. but I was asking at AHN. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, yeah. What challenges all around do you do you face, or what are maybe what are some things that you're looking to improve? Yeah, I guess the challenges that I faced was like I get into a habit of like wanting i get into a very unfocused habit sometimes where i I want to be a part of a lot of things that drives change Mm. right and sometimes i find myself really spread thin um it was only a few months ago that i literally looked at my schedule i'm like i have meetings from 8 a.m to 9 p.m every day Mm. right and i found myself skipping lunch and dinner so like attend these meetings and like do all these things and i was just like mentally emotionally dying inside Mm. right and that's when I'm like, okay, like I need to like take a step back and like, what are my pillars? What am I, what are things that I need to work on so we are sustainable? What are things that I need to work on so we grow as a community? And what are the things I need to work on that builds the next generation? And when I can narrow it down to those three pillars, now I can eliminate like 40% of my meetings because they don't fit into those things. Right. right. And I used to have a really bad habit of like, whoever reached out to me, literally anyone that asked for my time, I would give it to them. Mm. Right. I was very unselfish with my time. And as a result, I was dying inside because um sometimes I would attend meetings that it was very out of my realm of expertise, like something wrong in their marriage or whatnot. I'm just like, okay, <laughs> why, why are you talking to me? <laughs> you know? yes. Um, yes, it does help a lot of people. When I have my three pillars, I became more focused. I'm like, okay, like, hey guys, I'm at, I need to set boundaries now. Like, this is what I, these are the three things I want to work on for the future nice right? and that's how i continuously improve myself um wait what are your three point. pillars uh like i said sustainability for the organization yeah and then uh finding projects that benefit the community uh-huh. currently in the present and projects that are laying the seeds for the next generation excellent right? so accelerator is laying the seeds for the next generation uh, for the presence our conference it's sustainability it's like you know we we have our, our sponsorship for our every time you see stuff like sponsored by someone so without our instagram or whatnot it's those are sustainability things those, yeah. those are three things i focus on nice what are some surprises from uh from the ahn for you oh, every day surprised me <laughs> <laughs> yeah um like have you reached I, into countries you didn't think would ex- where ahn would be uh yeah, plenty of times. Uh, I guess the surprise is someone someone took a picture somewhere. I think, I think like some island or something, uh, Maldives or something. And someone was wearing like H M T shirt. Mm. I was like, oh, that's that's really cool. <laughs> oh wow, that's awesome. <laughs> or or just me walking around Hawaii one time in the summer, and I saw someone wearing an Asian sweater. I was like, oh. Wait, we can buy anything, merchandise like, and gear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's on our website. Oh, I'm gonna go. And load I saw up. that and I was like. Yeah, this is cool. Like this is this is really really cool. You know, I, I just smile and laugh or something. Or sometimes I see a random sticker or someone's car says HN on there. I just like nice. Awesome. Do you do you do you get like a, a breakdown through Facebook or anything of like the demographics of people in your group? 
like in terms yeah. of like what country they're from or yes yes so uh, like number one obviously usa and australia right. and then it goes to singapore and mm. then oh interesting yeah and then it goes to canada um, <laughs> and then it just breaks down to like philippines vietnam china right. all these not not china but like taiwan and yeah, we're not not scoring well in africa uh, <laughs> uh yeah eventually <laughs> Yeah. Uganda yeah. is not 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 hopping. <laughs> By any chance, does the word hustle ever have a negative connotation in the sense uh, that other people may not know the group yet, join, and then they're like, "Hey, is this hustling about like some type of side hustle?" Oh, I thought this was a gambling uh, deal or that. Yeah, there is. All right, there's there is a good amount of like non-Asian people that when they join the community. And so we always ask them like screener questions, right? What do you want to join the community? Mm-hmm. And there was like, oh yeah, I came from like Asian hustle, Asian hustler, which is like a porno magazine. And <laughs> <adult> <laughs> magazine. I'm here looking for Asian, Asian women for a good time. I'm just like, oh my lord, <laughs> wait, there's an Asian hustler? Holy shit! <laughs> well, I am learning a lot. You're, you're in the wrong group. <laughs> I will yeah. say this though. I mean. This might be a little bit risque, <laughs> but Asian is like the only race that I see as like a predominant category on uh, adult yeah. uh, websites, you know, for race related stuff. It's, you know, it's, it's unfortunate yeah. that like the, I guess, stereotype of of Asians, whether you get the ultra sexy female because yep. female, whether they're uh, they look young at any, almost any age, but then you get the the polar side of uh, is it e- emasculated men, Asian men? Um, yeah. So it's 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 terrible for. Anyways, I mean, I I kind of jumped on a little bit of a tangent, but right, yeah. So in American culture and society, being smaller and younger is attractive, typically. In the I female case, I never realized that that's what it was. That yeah, makes right? a lot of sense, though. Like being petite yeah. or you know fetish. Not, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's and a my, real problem. It really yeah. is. Oh, oh, and actually, actually, kind of, kind of, uh, something that I want to loop back to that you said in the very beginning. What? Why do you think? I, I never thought about it, but I actually googled it while we were talking. Um, what? Why do you think that Asians are less likely to be uh, promoted to sea level positions in general? Because it's true. Ooh. Oh, it is, it is true. Apparently, yeah. according to the fucking internet, which you you can't <laughs> lie on the internet, so it must be true. Oh, Here, you're can, saying? Can, well, why is it true? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Can I- can I give my story first, and then we'll have Brian answer afterwards? Yeah, yeah, so sure. this is uh, Lim's wheelhouse right here. Because <laughs> uh, I, I probably mentioned the story to Emmett before. I don't know if I said it to you, Joe, uh, while you're on. But um, so like I've throughout my throughout my career in software, I started in mm-hmm. uh, uh, gosh, two uh, two thousand two was it two thousand one, and uh, I had uh, a friend. I, well, I had many, uh, many friends that were also in IT. So I had one friend specifically that was a tall white guy. And then I had a lot of other Asian friends. And um, unfortunately, throughout the throughout my career, that white friend always made hire, but also not to not to try. I'm going to try to make the story more realistic and less less racist, I guess. Races are stereotypical. My Asian friends, the the, guy, the Asian friends that were taller, seemed to also get raises faster than I did because I'm a short five foot two guy, 
And my Asian friends, some of them, I think he, uh, how, how tall was he? He was probably, I'm guessing it was five, five, eight, five, nine. So he's not tall, tall, but he was taller than me. And right. he got raises. And the friends that knew me and that knew those guys, they're like, holy shit, those guys are fucking stupid. Like, how are they getting raises and you're not, Lim? Like, they can't be doing better at work than you are. Yeah, right, yeah. They're, right. I mean, yeah, they're, some of them were pretty bad. Like, uh, uh, one guy, I actually tried to teach him programming after work. And he was so stupid. I actually gave up. I was like, I, was like I'm, I can't do this, man. Like, you're not catching on. We spent a month together every day and you're, you're not remembering connecting any of this. But anyway, so then even till today, that white friend, he has always been 30 to 40 percent higher pay. And when you talk about 40 percent in the high five figure range, that starts to be a substantial amount of money. Right. Compounded over a career. Yeah, yeah, and and twenty years, yes, yeah. And um, there was one moment where I thought I had him, where I actually caught. There was one month overlap where I was within like two percent of him, but then that same month he got a pay raise and he just bumped up thirty yeah. percent or thirty percent higher than me. So, um, for me personally, uh, the way I've been treated at the workplace. There's so many times where managers have said something, they, they make some excuse. They're like, oh, your attention to detail or um, you need to be better at this or that. And I'm like looking at my other coworkers that got raises and promotions. I'm like, this makes no fucking sense. You said that I need to have attention, attention to detail, but that fucking white guy over there, he, he can't even fucking do his coffee correct in the morning. What the fuck? So, okay. So that's my story. All right, Brian, go ahead. Uh, Add in. Yeah, I think this is a really good point, Joseph. To bring you up, like I'm not sure you guys heard of like the bamboo ceiling, the, the the glass ceiling, and it's just basically a way that describes that Asian people are typically do not get promoted to up to higher level positions, right? Because essentially, we we are seen as very passive in the workplace, where it's like we're pushovers at the workplace, and there's 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 nothing against that, but when you really think about the way our parents just raised, it's like they're very new to this country and they don't want to cause problems, right? Because they have there's no home to go to at the time. Right. It's a very worn, torn country. You have nowhere to go. So guess what? When things look bad, when people are treating you like crap, you suck it up at work and you take it. You don't say anything, right? So that has been passed on. Um, to i guess like to uh, to managers that see that and they're like okay like i can give asian people a lot of shit and they're not gonna ever speak back to me right i can skip their promotion and they're not gonna do shit to me right and that's like like per, like per, i can't for lack of a better word it's just screen all of us over because now we have this perception that we're quiet we're passive we take we take shit and we don't we don't speak up we don't cause problems we don't stand out we don't do do any of those yeah right and from a psychological standpoint, when you're at work and you're a, a white guy or whatever, you want to promote people that look like you and sound like you. It's just human nature, right? You right. people like that. And when the promotion happens, it's like, I guess I'm screwing over the Asian guy, but he's not going to say anything. Right. Right. Until that happens over and over. And now it's like, I, I, I feel like with our generation is like, we're just as American as anyone else. Why do we have to take that bullshit? Yeah. That's that's the change of culture, you know, that we're, that we're speaking up. But it's only still really recently that we're starting to be more vocal because 
yeah. it's still a lot of passed down stuff that we're still unlearning. I guess what my mom always tells me if shit goes wrong at work, just shut up and suck it up. You right. know, a lot of us are still dealing with that. That's why so, the workplace is not quite to change at the moment. You're, you're, yeah. So you think it's like a generational issue and like, right. A cultural issue essentially. And, you know, yes. I, I can actually imagine, and I, I don't know if this is the case, <clears throat> but I, I I've seen this with, um, with other races in general, um, when it comes to like white managers and like, um, uh, in that in those scenarios, but when you do speak up for yourself, you know, oftentimes I feel like a lot of times minorities are in general are, you know, if you're getting uppity or you're causing trouble or, you know, you're being disruptive, you know, even though in reality, that's what you should be doing. And whenever people of the dominant race of a region do that, it's considered, oh, you know, he's just being strong. He's being confident, you know. And I, I don't know if that's the case, but I can I can imagine that being the case. I mean, yeah, there's not really a question there, but <laughs> yeah, I can, very similar. I, yeah, yeah. I can I can add to your guys' answers. Um, in that the the U.S. has a long history and a long culture, a long society of you know white America, right? So after World War II, that's white America is is basically what it is, and the corporations that grow up in that society, uh, you know, all the leaders are the tall white dudes, right? So we find ourselves hitting the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, and we have more mixed culture, and we have a diverse workplace. We have, you know, it used to be in the old days, just just white males were getting the good jobs, right? Yeah. If you if you were black, you weren't getting the good jobs. If you were Latino, you weren't getting the, these corporate jobs, right? It was a privilege to go to college and get some kind of degree. You had to have money. You had to have parents you, that, that paid for all this. You had to have the scholarships, and, you know, it was a very uh, kind of rigged, system right back when white people had all the power instead of just most of it <laughs> yeah so you know l- literally a skewed yeah. thing when you know when 90 percent of people are white you know and, and all the tv shows are white and yeah you know we just don't know anything else right so yeah, um so and, as uh, that go ahead so so as that world changes um you know you still have this uh people will to look to height as as strength and power and you know the big tall guy they'll elect them as the leader just there's kind of a human psychology to that right so asians were were typically not the tallest guy in the room so we lose there just right out the gate right um but you know and i've worked in several corporate environments so i can i can tell you that if you know if the bosses if this if the c-level guys if if the guys running the show are a bunch of tall white dudes it, it becomes very much like a boys club, right? So if, if you can go hang with them at happy hour and have some martinis, if you can go play golf with them, then you can work your way into the club. It's not just about being loud and, and causing trouble. It's actually assimilating and integrating in the workplace and becoming buddies with the existing structure. And that's real hard to do if everybody sees you as, you know, Chang the Asian guy you know, or, you know, the, the, the loud Asian chick, you know, it's not about making noise as much as kind of becoming a part of that, that culture and becoming a part of the team at that level, right. Outside of work and, and feeling that comfort and connection. Um, so the, I, there's, I, I'm sure it's very complex. There's a lot of oh, yeah. culture to it, um, the but co- it's hard to break and hard to change. And it takes, decades or it takes a generation or it takes time well i i think with the media beginning to um more legitimize uh asians 
mm-hmm. in a non-stereotypical way, I think that has a big influence on it too, because I think a lot in general, a lot of people's perceptions do come from the media, even right. at a subconscious level, you know, and if you look at the way that Asians in general, uh, even throughout the 90s and even through the early 2000s were portrayed in movies, they were always portrayed in a certain stereotypical role, you know, yeah. and I, I think that that contributed to it a lot, you know, in general. <clears throat> I, I think that's I, I huge. Think, yeah. That's I, huge because that affects the generation seeing it. So it, you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I also feel like you guys bring up a really good point too. And when you look at U.S. history, it's like, it's all about erasure of Asian culture, right? Because when you look mm. back at it, like the, the Asian, the Chinese, Japanese were here during the railroads, 1800s. Yeah. All the pictures you see about all the railroads built, you see a bunch of white guys mm. taking all the credit, right? And guess what? Like that, those, those white guys actually like got more, most of the generational wealth. That generation, yeah. like generational wealth increases. They go to each generation, and now they become business leaders. And they're just not not nothing against them. They're just inheriting what they were taught. Yes. Right? Uh, white supremacy and like white people are the best. And you know we can always step on other minorities to get to where we want to get. And that's still mm-hmm. very reflective within our, our our corporate world. We still see that a yeah. lot nowadays. But it's just the root of U.S history is very very racist <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah huge. And i think the fallacy that's happening here is that we think uh corporate promotion comes from merit and from doing a great job and from being the best qualified and it, that's not always the case right if you're the hiring manager if you're the person in power you're not necessarily going to pick the best person for the job you might not even be qualified yourself you might be a fucking idiot and so you're going to pick your friend right you're going to pick the yep. person you think yep. you want to work with um and a lot of times that's the person that looks the most like you and so, that's, that's kind of what Brian was saying earlier. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. you know, you're going to, yeah, pick I mean, someone that's like you. It's human nature. It is. Yeah. Like, when we go to parties and groups or clubbing, like, we gravitate towards people that look like us because we find comfort in that. Yeah. Tribalism. It's very real. Yeah. I'm going to connect, kind of connect with, I think, maybe what all three of you kind of said. So just let's play out a scenario. So a hypothetical situation where, uh, so you got, these movies in the 70s, 80s, you got where the Asian people are portrayed to be goofy, to all, they don't know how to speak English, they're, they're dishwashers, they only know Kung Fu, and they don't, only know how to say Ching Chang Chong. So then a white person watching this movie, now they, 30, 40 years later, they're a manager now, they're in a position of power to give someone a promotion. They happen to have an Asian person working for them, also they have a white person working for them. That other white per- person is just portrayed as there's something in the psyche from those years of watching those movies i think they're just gonna promote that that uh white person so anyways i'm just re- I, I, I agree because uh almost daily like uh lines and scenes from movies i watched as a kid and haven't seen in 20 years pervade all of my thoughts like so many top gun quotes <laughs> are, are popping through my head throughout my day and and it's like I didn't, I didn't think I liked the movie that much when I watched it. Like it was a cool yeah. movie and all, but it yeah. wasn't like the center of my life or anything. Um, but you know, the movies I watched as a kid, uh, big trouble in little China, you know, all these movies that I saw freaking in the eighties, uh, are still embedded in my brain. So I think Indiana Jones makes me cringe. Now when I watched uh, temple of doom, Dr. Jones, yeah. you know, like, all right, <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. But, but somehow those nuggets, those little pieces never leave your brain. Yeah. And and I think what Lim's saying is is entirely correct that if you 
if you have those stereotypes burned in when you're young, yep. it, it never really leaves you no matter how, uh, how much you change your, your rational thoughts or your, 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 you know, you can, you can, you can talk about it and you can understand it better, but does it really change what's happening in the root in your brain? And, and then to add to that too. So say, say that scenario where there's that, uh, that white manager who watched those Asian movies there's no point for him to reflect on himself to have to change. I'm not saying that he's bad. I'm not saying that he's wrong for it. There's just no benefit. There's no situation for him to look back at himself and like, Hey, did I not promote that Asian guy when I should have? There's just, no, cause I'm great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So there's, I would never do that. It's like, uh, when, when I talk to my friend, well, this is kind of a tangent, but connected. When I talk to my friend, Ricky, who's six foot eight and I tell him, you know, there's a lot of challenges. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of challenges <laughs> when I'm five foot two, when I'm in the dating scene or when I'm trying to get a promotion. And he's like, oh, really? I had no idea. And I'm like, you have no idea how you have e- no idea. You have no idea how easy it is for you to get women. He's like, he, it was actually re- a really cool conversation because I was able to explain it to him. He's a, uh, well, thank you for your, your information. So I could understand that. But now what I'm getting uh, kind of to the, the white manager, there's no reason for anything to ever tell him to change. And so for Ricky, there's no reason for him to ever need to know what a short person's life is like. No, not, I'm not, I'm not mad at Ricky. I'm yeah. me and him are great that's, friends. That's just the environment he, he lives in. You know? Yeah, exactly. He exactly. doesn't understand. He's just feeling bad. He's bumping his head all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why are these Japanese cars are so damn small? <laughs> Fuck those Asians. <laughs> uh, did we lose Brian? Are we still? <laughs> I'm here. I'm okay. Here. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to touch on uh, <laughs> in light of uh, Asian Hustle Network? Uh, we've got an awesome Facebook page. We've got a website. We've got a directory. We've got, uh, is it going to be like, kind of like a media outlet coming? Yeah, yeah is so this is a media outlet coming for sure in January. Uh, what we want to do oh, soon, yeah. is uh, we actually want to sign like old school Asian movies that we enjoy growing up, like Journey to the West, onto the platform. Ah, and we want to like be able to highlight up up and coming artists as well, and really create a platform for them because there's a lot of gatekeeping. And honestly, if you're posting one or two videos on YouTube, it's really hard to get the exposure that you need. So yeah. in my mind, it's like I want to just blow the gates wide open, right? We want to be yeah. that entity that evaluate that continues to elevate the community in every single way that we can. And yeah. my ultimate dream for Asian Hustle Network. In like 40 years or 50 years when I'm like much older and like looking back, I want to be like, wow, we have a whole ecosystem. We have a community that supports each other in every single aspect that you can think of. Corporate, mentorship, investments, media, stories, you name it. I want to be all through Asian Hustle Network. And also, I don't want to be just Asian Hustle Network. I want to see other entities pop up and do the same thing because I don't want to be the only one. That's fantastic. I want to get involved more. Uh, you have a convention coming up in April. That's right. April You're here in Vegas. Yeah. Yep. Okay. If you need any help on that team, let me know. I'm happy to jump in and volunteer. We need your cosplay. Cosplay? Okay. <laughs> okay I got to step up my game. I got to come up with something really good. For, <laughs> for that convention, do you already have like a film crew or a, uh, do you have that in mind? Are you going to record it or anything or? Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be a pretty high-end production. So I've been negotiating with everything. That's probably one of the, the last things I need to worry about. I'm trying. To, I'm worried most worried about like the content part. It's like what kind of value, right? 
Yeah. Uh, are we bringing you to the conference? If you need a live broadcast podcast, <laughs> you can be on site. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to make a really cool experience for Asian entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs. Because there's a, there's a huge entry barrier at the moment that I feel that you have to have certain ducks line up in order for you to take the risk. And I, I started, I'm starting to realize a lot that a lot as I'm on, I'm on my own entrepreneur journey. It's like, if your parents are really well off, your chances of becoming an entrepreneur is really high. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. You, right. you know, yeah. no, yeah. cause you're not worried about lunch tomorrow. You're like, I, I always got somebody to fall back on. And I listen to a lot of uh, NPRs, uh, how I built this and they interview a lot of entrepreneurs and I swear to God, 90% of them <laughs> come from well-off backgrounds at least. Yeah. At least they had the security to take those risks to begin with. You know, it's very rare that you hear about somebody that had nothing that built something, you know, yeah. even yeah. for the difference between me and Emmett, like I think him being half Irish uh, for me growing up in an all white town, like the mental identity issue that I had growing up, I was, I think it sacrificed my education because I spent too much time trying to be white. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be like that that community around me mm. where then I, when I look at Emmett, I felt that he was able to concentrate on school. I mean, he had his challenges too. I'm not, uh, well, no, I was just so socially awkward that I wasn't even worried about fitting in. <laughs> <laughs> so it. didn't even occur to me <laughs> when I think about like the, the type of education, not even, it's just how much he may know more on certain aspects of whether it's politics or, or certain science stuff. Like I, I, when I think about it, I'm like, man, Emmett's so lucky. Like I spent too many of you, my years, it probably wasn't until I was like 26, 27 years old where I was able to get over that age, that white person identity where I want to not want to not need to fit in anymore. So 27 years of my life trying to fight that, that's a heavy burden to, to, to tax me, you know? Yeah. Luckily I was more of a sociopath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I think even so not even just having uh, rich parents to get you to become an entrepreneur, just having a, a upbringing community connection connections goes a long way, you know, yeah. and I want to yeah. bring that to people that don't have the connections. And I see myself largely in that group, right? Because mm. I, I always look at myself as a huge outlier because you know, my parents escaped the Vietnam War, came out here. We live in section E housing. You know, for most of my life, I didn't even know I was poor because we grew up in a poor neighborhood, you know? Mm. Yeah. And to it's me, I feel like to be able to network with like the people that I network with now, it's like, I shouldn't be here. Right. And also next question is why shouldn't I be here? Why can't more people like myself be here? Right. Yeah. And you find that there's a huge, I mean, this is my own opinion is that the likelihood of you going to like Harvard, Stanford and whatnot is because you have a lot of resources, a lot of tutors. Yeah, you know, people watching over you. You don't yep. have to worry about a lot of things, and you get into these, these schools that you meet a lot of other people like you. And then guess what? The doors even opening up because now you went to Harvard, Stanford. People automatically make the assumption that you're very talented and smart, and they'll take bets on you, right? Yeah. And now you're forward to leave your job. It creates a whole new cycle of like that you can, advantage, that you advantage. Yeah, that the constant you have, but if you. It, but how do you repair people that don't have those advantages to bring it to those type of circles? And that's what I think about all the time. Tell us about your upbringing, where you're born, your parents. <laughs> Give us a whole, seriously. And, and then oh anything, goodness. everything in there that leads up to AHN, 
meaning how your upbringing, your parents, uh, the yeah. in poverty, maybe in poverty or what or whatnot, and then how that created you as a person and how that connects to AHN. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, so my parents escaped the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. and they came over here as pretty young adults in their teenage years, early twenties. What really got to me was like my uncle was the one planning the escapes in Vietnam, right? He was like planning some of the boat escapes for people, and that's wow. very admirable because wait, like he was the Harriet Tubman of Vietnam. I don't know about that. But I just, <laughs> Helping others. I, I, yeah. I, I it, it, my family is to the point where they don't really tell me anything, but I have to ask mm. questions, right? So one yeah. time I asked, I asked my dad, why does my uncle have all fake teeth? Mm. And that's when he was like, yeah, he helped plan out the escape from Vietnam. We got caught by the Viet Cong, got the crap beat out of him. We lost all his teeth while he's in jail. Mm. You know, that's the reason why he has all fake teeth. And that was the type of, that was the type of story that really fired me up. I was like, wow, like we're all into helping the community. It just, just belongs in our family DNA, you know, like planning things out and getting things done. Yeah. Uh, fast forward, my dad. Um, so my mom actually had an uncle in Australia that was trying to convince them, them to move to Australia. But my dad was like, we need to go to America. That's where all, all, all like, the opportunities are at. Yeah. So they ended up, up like, I forgot the story, what the story was, but I think my dad flipped a coin or something. He was like, has to go to America, tails to go to Australia. Wow. I was like, coin flipping away from the Australian, you know? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and when we got here, you know, my dad was telling me that they couldn't speak English. They tried to assimilate the culture. They were washing dishes at restaurants, doing whatever they can to, like, get by. And mm. he was telling me, like, one of his hardest jobs was actually at a car wash like wiping out people's cars yeah he was like for 15 hours a day with dirt low pay virtually no tip Mm. that was the hardest job he ever had in his life until today i tip people really well when i go to car washes because i'm so reminded of my dad's story yeah right and then growing up we actually my parents came here they end up in washington dc first virginia um but then now coming from vietnam they're not used to the code. And my mom was complaining to my dad. She was like, <laughs> yes. I heard this, I heard this awesome place in, in California that's just like home by the water. If you're Vietnamese, um, my mom grew up in Najang, which is a very beach city. Uh-huh. So she is so drawn to like this concept of like this magical city in America that's so <laughs> similar. So we actually end up in LA. Um, and when we end up in LA, we're actually were in East LA in like the lower income area. And I mean at that time there's a lot of immigrant family families yeah. there right that's where, that's where Cheech and Chong are from yeah <laughs> yeah I guess growing up I we, all five of us lived in a 600 square foot two-bedroom house that's like you know yeah in the lower lower side of town and I just remember those are the happiest days of my life I didn't know what I was for and the activities that we did on the weekends was like we go to yard yard houses and buy like used toys and used clothes and whatnot and get past me down. It's like, I had no problem with that. That was my upbringing. Right. But the one thing that really bothered me was my mom forbid me to have sleepovers at other people's houses. Oh. She never let me sleep over and she never had anyone come, come visit us at our house. And as I got older, I realized she never wanted us to feel like we're missing things because oh. if you went over Smart. to my friend's house, and I realized that wow, they have big houses and like all these all these things. I was so used to, up until I was high school. I was so used to like 
I thought it was completely normal that my room had both my siblings in there and like three yeah. BDSs and, and like right. two bunk beds. It's it just no normalized to me. But when I got to college, I didn't the, the smack of realization that I was actually poor was when <laughs> was when I was talking to some people and they were like, "Well, yeah, we don't have financial aid." I was like, "What the hell? How do you go to school then?" <laughs> you know? that, was the, that was the first realization. Another realization was, uh, like when I visited their house and I was just so like culture shocked of like how things are. Right, because I'm used to a house where it's like my parents ram wrap all the remote controls. Like, <laughs> like it just it's like really like humble background. And I guess like someone teased me during dinner. They're like, Brandon, do you not know how to hold a fork? I was like, Is there a way to hold a fork? Like I'm just eating, you know? Yeah. Wait, 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 hold on. Me. What does that mean? How how do you hold a fork? Am I holding I, the fork I, wrong? I, I guess like, I was like holding this, the right? fork wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess like they, the joke they were making is like, oh, you don't have you don't have table etiquette etiquette. I'm like, what? What does that even mean? You know, yeah. right? I finally visited their house and then I found out like his dad was an investment banker, a VP or something. Yeah, and that really got me exposed to like stuff like my whole life. My parents were telling me that investment is like gambling, right? Don't get in the stock market, you're oh. gambling. Like whatever you do, you gamble. And when I was talking to their parents, it really blew my mind about how money worked because it didn't occur to me. I didn't know anything about money or absolutely anything. You know, I was just taught to just like study hard and not think about money. Money's a root of all evil type of thing. Mm. So I did a lot of unlearning in that side. I was like, right. All right. How does the world really work? You know, like, and that's, yeah. that's when I started going down the rabbit hole of like having having enough courage to open up like an investment account. Yeah. And I was like 21, 22. Cause this is, this is the most taboo thing I've ever heard my parents say, and I'm doing it. Wow. You know? And it was like a lot to me, it's like a lot of unlearning. What people don't know about me is that majority of my twenties was spent living in people's garages and closets because I was saving money. Right. I was yeah. saving money so I can, moved my parents to a bigger house because I was I was just trying to be that, that good kid, you know? Until I yeah. finally got a grasp of how money worked and like, this is a little bit embarrassing because my first job, I, I got offered a salary of like 41000 for a software engineer in California and I thought that was the best job ever and I, I worked like 100 hours a week during that oh, job. Yeah, man. I didn't, I didn't know any better. That was my first job and you know, yeah. that, until finally, like I started talking more about people, I'm like, holy shit, like low ball most of my life <laughs> that's, that's hilarious because you know? that's about how much i was making as my first uh well it was after about a year or two of my first software engineering job and i yeah. i was the opposite i felt i guess entitled like like kind of the new generation yeah. i was like i deserve this pay like i'm gonna come in at 9 10 <laughs> i don't care if i come in at 10 30 or 11 if the manager says something i'm just gonna i'm gonna be upset i'm gonna like say something rude to the manager and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave early. Also, it was a weird entitlement thing. But are you sure that's not why you weren't getting promoted? <laughs> <laughs> I got I got so much work done. Every all the developers are like they were saying I was I was one of the best developers they worked with. I don't except know. for that, that's, yeah. That's, a, that's a, yeah. That, I don't know why that statement really brought back a lot of memories too. Because I used to think that if I didn't work hard enough, I can go back to being poor. That was like my mentality. Was like, that if that, I didn't that is one advantage of growing up poor, in my opinion, because uh, yeah. I've been there. Is that like you're always just like, man, you know, like yeah. <laughs> the fear of poverty I, I coming back. <laughs> I was so afraid to be poor that I was working as hard as I can. 
Uh, I didn't want to like be broke, you know, yeah. and that was like my scarcity mindset. Of, like, I I couldn't take this risk. I could not not have a job. Like, it was like I needed I needed this. Yeah, you know. But you know, slowly, like a lot of luck happened. It was like joining companies the right moment, watching them go IPO, watching suddenly abundance of money, thinking differently, meeting the right people, led me down the path of Asian Hustle Network, right? And that's because of the humbly upbringing. It's like. I, I, I mean, I don't want to say this, but like, I feel like nowadays I just hang out around with like a lot of people that like, went to Ivy Leagues, mm-hmm. and I look at them as like you guys are way privileged, yeah. more privileged than you ever imagined, yep. right? Right. And I, I want, and when I, unfortunately, when you talk to people that did not go to these Ivy Leagues, the, the mentality is a lot different. It's a very like a worker mentality where it's like, I don't, I can't take the risk, or I'm not the one that can do it. And that really resonates with, too, with me too, because I, I did not, I did not go to Ivy League, right? right. So like I, that part resonates with me that shit. That if I can do it, you can do it too. And I personally don't think I'm the smartest person ever in the room, right? But what I have is I have, I have conviction, I have courage, and I know that that too goes a long way. And I want more people to realize that they do have that that power within within them as well. You you might be the most awesome person. I yeah, like that. Well, that, that. That's an awesome. That's an awesome message. And that's a great yeah, story, man. I, I I think that a lot of people, in general, regardless of like race or upbringing, like compare themselves too much to people that have more than them or more privilege. You know, like just because you don't have that upbringing or just because you don't have those connections or that yeah. ability to you know have these private tutors or do this or that or whatever. You know, sometimes. I, I know a lot of people that compare themselves to people like that and they shouldn't at all. You know, like it has no bearing on your ability to get the job done. It has no bearing on your intelligence level. Uh, but unfortunately, because the way our society is constructed, I believe a lot of people think it does, you know, they yeah, assume, I mean, Oh, you went to Harvard. Therefore you must be smarter than me. You know? Yeah. I think mm-hmm. how, I think how far you've come is actually a better measure than where you're at. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we all, yeah, we yeah the delta, the differential is is yeah, exactly. It's more important yeah. than the actual result. Yeah. Starting we at talk the top, about funny things. a little bit higher. But. <laughs> we talk about funny things too. I just remember like just going on dates in college where like yeah. girls are more affluent families. And oh. just some of the stuff that I did was like looking back, it's like <laughs> it's so like and Vietnamese called you yeah way, you know. <laughs> it's very like I didn't know any better, you know. Were and you giving them plastic like, flowers or what? I don't know. It's <laughs> like a lot of like he wasn't like, taking them to two hundred dollar restaurants for a meal. No, I, it's just like the the fact that my parents have never taken me to like Denny's or something growing up because that was considered uh, a luxury in our house household. Right. Yeah, it's like. I just remember, like, I was like, "What do you want to eat?" She's like, "Cheesecake Factory." I'm like, "Oh, like that's such a nice restaurant." And she's like, "The look in your face is like, uh, <laughs> I don't know about the Cheeto. We can't go there." <laughs> you know? Wow. Yeah. So, just, just stuff like that. It's like I was, I was just like, I didn't know. I asked like, right. to me, like Denny's at the time was like something that we ate when I when once a blue moon when I when we're something worth celebrating. Yeah. Right. right. And looking back now, I was like, oh, you want to go to Denny's? Nah, dude. Denny's going to get it. Go <laughs> but, but just looking back, was, even like 10 years ago, I was like, wow, like that's, that's how I used to be. Like, just mm. like it reminds me yeah. when I, I was seven or eight, my parents would take us to McDonald's if they had, if, if financially things were going well, McDonald's was the treat. So right. for the longest of time, I think 
I think probably until the age of 24 did I get it out of my system where where McDonald's wasn't a, it was just normal. It it took me till 24 ish to figure out McDonald's is just normal. Screw you guys. I still like McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I actually think too that, that that's an important thing for like uh, parents that have limited funds is to make things like Denny's or McDonald's seem special. You know what I mean? Yeah. I actually do admire that a little bit. Like, yeah. you know, like they don't have very much, so they're able to take the little that they do have and make it seem more important or impactful than it, you know, I mean, it, should it be, especially compared to privileged people. But but it literally is the treat if that's what you can afford. It, it, exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, for us, it was KFC, like maybe yeah. maybe yeah. once or once every month or two. Like, oh, wow. KFC time. Fantastic. Yeah. Right. When I, when I was a kid, like one of, one of my favorite things is whenever uh, my mom would take us and uh, we, we, we would go get Burger King and then go watch airplanes take off at the airport by parking next to it. You know, nice. And, you know, I when I was a kid, I thought that was amazing. You know, yeah, this is this, this is the coolest shit I've ever seen. You know, we just airplanes. <laughs> I get to have fucking yeah. a Whopper, you know? Yeah. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, retroactively, I realized like that's because that's all they can afford, you know? Is a little mm-hmm. bit of gas and some Burger King, but you know, I still appreciate the effort, I guess, you know, or like the the way they try to make it special. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess it's like the heartbreaking thing is like seeing what we know now, it's very heartbreaking because of like I, I remember when things are finally going well, right? And I took my parents to like nice restaurants. Mm. The fear in their eyes when they're asked by the waiter what do you want to order it was like they have never experienced this before and it's like wow. they were so uncomfortable to the point where it's like it's sad you know yeah. you're just looking at them you're like right. you give me so much of my life and seeing you like startle when the waiter's like how's the food you know yeah. you're like oh like, holy shit like, it's, so, <laughs> wow. it's so sad you know like wow. that part was heartbreaking to me and i was like shit like yeah is, you look back like, oh, like, like this is how far i've come like extremely heartbreaking because this is like how far your parents have sacrificed and to give them to, to think more abundantly as well like the amount of lectures and the earfuls i got when i started buying <laughs> four dollar boba for them, oh like, you wasteful son of a bitch <laughs> they're just like boba? pissing your $4? future down the drain that's so expensive and that's like some of the the scarcity mindset that i wanted to help my parents shed right and yeah then, yeah just things i throw away too like sometimes they're over at my house I throw away like some towels that look kind of old. I'm like, I don't want to use this thing anymore. <laughs> I, look, I find it folded by the staircase. I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> you yeah. know? My parents are like so like scarcity mindset that they're just looking at towels that they think are still reusable and they save it. And they're like, oh yeah, like yeah. don't throw that away. No, you my know, mom literally can't throw anything away. She's, yeah. she's a hoarder. Yeah. Um, those subtle I... things that are just like, damn, like, yep. my parents yep. have sacrificed so much for us. Yep. Yeah. When I, even till today, I still buy popcorn because growing up, or when I go to the theaters, I have like in my mo- in my body, my mind, <laughs> my I ha- soul, I have to buy popcorn because it reminds me back in the day, my mom had enough money to give a, give me money to go see a movie, but she said no snacks, no food, nothing. Right. That, like that was a lot of money to go see a movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. So when I grew up, you know, when I had money, when I had a job, I was Whenever I go to a movie, I'm buying popcorn to make up for those times. Even till today, last time we went to see, uh, 
I forget what I remember the popcorn. Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, Ghostbusters. I remember the popcorn, but I don't remember Ghostbusters. But Asians you got, were. You got it right. I'll spend that twelve dollars on those fucking shitty nachos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was dying I for nachos. They didn't have any. <laughs> that day we went, we were all wanting the nachos, and they didn't have it. But uh, Asians are underrepresented in the latest Ghostbuster movie. <laughs> well, well, I, they had the wait. What's the? Uh, None of the ghosts were Asian. No, no, but the the kid. <laughs> The, so the main oh, actor was named podcast. Yeah. The, the kid's name was podcast. He was Asian, right? Filipino yes, it was. It was a good movie. It's worth seeing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was. It was actually a pretty good movie. Yes. I was yeah. kidding. Asians are okay. It's it's a fair shake. So I'll, uh, I'll get the Asian stamp of approval on the Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Brian, when you mentioned the um, uh, sleep, uh, sleeping, uh, sharing a room, it remind I, I haven't even thought about this since since. Yeah, time, you guys right? share a room, right? <laughs> eight, yeah, since eight years, when I was eight years old, uh, I, I had to sleep in the living room with two other, with my uh, with my brother and an uncle because there wasn't enough rooms in the house. So it was sleeping on the floor in the in the living room. Yeah, and going to school in in a tiny condo. It wasn't a yeah. Uh, it was a small condo. A three, I think it was a three. Well, three bedroom condo, <laughs> but we had too many people. Yeah, and, grandma was in the garage. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, oh, that was no joke, man. And going to going to school, it was like I think a mental. Uh, I I'm, I purposely did not want to mention that I was sleeping on the floor. So when I went to go, my mom would let me go spend the night at my friends, and I would see them have these nice bunk beds, these massive rooms, that race these, car bed. Yeah, yeah. Super I, Nintendo, and you just had a Neo. Oh yeah. Geo. yeah, yeah, exactly. That <laughs> gold <laughs> Super Nintendo. So that that bit of fear, I never ever mentioned to anyone probably till now because I haven't thought about it since then. But even at that age, I didn't mention to anyone that I was sleeping on the floor in the living room. So I, I know what you're talking about with the sharing a room. Yeah. To be completely really honest, right? I've always assumed that you and Emmett share a room and hang out and live together. <laughs> I, I just realized you guys probably don't live together. <laughs> you should see the size of this fucking house. Uh, we did. When we, uh, when we opened a cafe, we opened Cafe Hapa. And we minimized our expenses. We were, we rented a room in San Diego. I think it was six hundred a month, uh, but we we shared a room while we were uh, running the coffee shop. Nice. Uh, yeah, that, that was a tight space. Yeah, during that time, I was eating the dollar Jack in the Box salad. We living on the dollar menu. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Jack God, in the Box. Jack in the Box. <laughs> even for poor people, with Jack in the Box is kind of pushing it. You know, yeah. like holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Dollar frozen pizzas were the shit. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> hell yeah. I, I think this uh, seems common on AHN where I see a lot of the posts where a lot of these uh, entrepreneur, entrepreneurs are coming from harsh backgrounds and they post these stories. What are some of the super interesting ones that, that you remember of? Oh, man, there's so many. Um, I, love, I particularly love stories that are very similar to mine. And I don't know, I always resonate to like the immigrant experience, right? Where it's like, mm. oh, I grew up with X amount, but, you know, I worked hard and, you know, a lot of things happened in my favor. Uh, I can't remember any particular one right now it's because I read over, like, I literally take the time to read over every single one of them. Yeah. Which costs me about like two to three million posts now. That's a lot. <laughs> wow. Yeah, just eighty four thousand posts while we're sitting here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it definitely skew my mindset a lot, but it's just, and I think it's crazy too because when you're writing any sort of organization, like your personality, and it seeps through that entire organization. Yeah, right? 
because my mentality has always been like grassroots and like you can do it type of mentality that sometimes I look at the organization and I'm like, this is a reflection of how I am inside. And that's the nice. craziest thing because when you start looking at other founders, when they create their companies, you see them inside their company too, right? It's just like you just steer in the yeah. direction that, that, that you find the most comfort, right? So I always find that really, really fascinating that your personality, regardless of what company you start, is going to be seeped through that entire organization. Mm. Yeah, actually, and uh, a weird connection is the house parties Emmett and I used to throw back in, um, gosh, what was that, 10, 10, 15 years ago? But Early 2000s? But I was surprised at how our person, I felt that our personalities came through the parties. Even we had parties where there, I think the biggest party that I remember was a 200 person party in a 2000 square foot house. But it wasn't that big. Yeah. But it was at the, at the peak, we had 100 people in the house. In Good a t- board. Yeah, it was. Every room was shoulder to shoulder. It was so fuck awesome. that carpet. <laughs> it was yeah, so dude. awesome. But the do amazing- not bring a black light into that house after that. Party. <laughs> do not do that. The, the amazing thing: there wasn't a fight. There yeah. was nobody like. Uh, there was no arguments. So um, good vibes. It was great vibes, and I actually think that was our personalities. Because there's like some side stories that someone like uh, I had a friend who invited a friend, who that person invited a friend, that person called the friend and said, hey, is, can I bring cocaine? And then my friend said, no, 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 it's not that type of party. Mm. So I think that our... our oh, we're going to add cocaine? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and hookers. <laughs> there was some guy that offered... He, <laughs> Not, not not hookers. He he had he was trying to sell. He was selling adult toys, so like dildos oh. and stuff. And he wanted to sponsor our party. And I was like, yeah, I don't think I want to do that. Hmm. He said he would give money if we just tell everyone. Sponsorship, bro. Hand That's out so- baby Yoda flashlights. It's <laughs> <Yeah. That's> absurd. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have to ask Brian if he thinks that's a good marketing tool on parties and, and Yoda flashlights. <laughs> Negative. <laughs> yeah, you depends on the crowd. It, depends on the crowd. You definitely know what I mean by that. Then you know, it's, it's yeah. crazy. You see the personality you see through. Yeah, yeah. I almost yeah. always feel like sometimes the, the the organization takes on how I feel at the moment because mm. I was feeling really sad and depressed during the during the the rise of Asian hate, and I realized that the community is reflecting that. It's like a lot of like posts about. Uh, frustration sadness and whatnot that's when i i try to keep myself in a better mind state because for i don't know what it is but it just seeps through however i'm feeling at the moment into the organization so it's better off that i'm always kind of level-headed and yeah. like mellow so yeah we know people have met romantically through asian that's not oh. the goal so <laughs> for 2020 yeah 2020 yeah. Uh, we played around during how on Valentine's to do speed dating, so we call uh. ourselves. So for that particular day, we changed our, our names to Asian Dating Network. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just to reflect Valentine's, and, you know, we had <laughs> we had like a, a speed dating thing where it's like, dude, we had like four hundred people sign up. <laughs> We're just like, what the hell? I don't I know bet. how to sort this. My, yeah. my computer science side, I was like, how do I sort this efficiently? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> and then I realized that there's not a lot of technology out there that does blind dating that well on on virtually. So if you guys want to solve that problem, this sounds like a, a virtual like a blind speed dating. Is that what we're looking at? Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. 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 We yeah. end up having these we end up having to use Zoom and particularly breakout breakout rooms. Mm. And I, I just remember the feedback. 
<laughs> was like, I came here expecting to meet a really attractive girl, but instead I got matched with dudes all night long. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like, okay, I mean, this, this is a fail, but you know, the whole point is to meet people and have fun, right? <laughs> uh, life is a sausage fest. Uh, I'm going to add for the heck of it because I, I bash uh, white people a lot lately. Um, <laughs> So even though my stories, uh, I talk about me not getting a pay raise or a promotion compared to certain white friends, but a lot of the crucial points in my life have been thanks to white people. I have, I've had, um, an uncle married, an uncle married into the family that really helped me a lot. Um, oh, yeah, he's super white. Yeah. And then <laughs> just kidding. I had, a another white friend that uh, guided me. Um, through some crucial times in my life where I financially was not at a good spot. So as much as I bash, I, I think I'm bat I'm, I'm trying to bash these stereotypes that are negatively affecting people and not just Asians really all around people, just but the unfair system, my stories happen to be from an Asian perspective. So I happen to say that. So anyways, that's just my little plug for myself so that, Maybe if someone's watching my other podcast, they're like, dang, let me hate white people. Hopefully <laughs> they see this. <laughs> They'll think uh, that I don't hate just all white people. No, I yeah, I want to clarify to you. I don't hate white people either. <laughs> I, I, just, I love I, black people. <laughs> I, I just didn't grow up around enough white people, right? Because I went to predominantly Asian high school, predominantly Asian area. Ah. That's one thing that I kind of mentioned before too. It's like, I wish I had more interaction with other ethnicities. Yeah, actually, uh, I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to tell a story, then maybe you'll understand the question afterwards. So I have I have some cousins that were raised in predominantly Asian areas, and I feel like their English at their they're they're near my age, but they they are born in America, raised in America, and yet their English is not as good as mine because their parents kept them in the Vietnamese communities, kept them in the Vietnamese schools, Vietnamese churches, Vietnamese restaurants. I felt that did unfortunately a disservice to them because as they're, as they're growing up now, they try to only find things in the Asian area. And I look, I compare me to them where I'm like going out eating Mexican food, Greek food, all types of food. I'm, I'm when I, at the workplace, I'm, I feel I'm able to mix well with white people, black people, everything Latinos. And especially in this case, it'd be white people because they're usually the managers. So that was an important thing for me to be able to, um, to gamify the situation for my benefit against white people in, in power. Um, I feel that they have a very tough challenge when they're dealing with, management um i don't know from your perspective and the things that you've been through what do you think of with that story yeah um i can see where you're coming from um i I still have friends like that too that stick within the asian realm that i see it and um, to me it's like you're not living life unless you're uncomfortable you know that's that's the most mentality uh i think it's pros and cons i think what you mentioned is a huge pro because you understand for lack of a better word, the white dynamic. But there's also advantages of being the Asian culture too, because now you see things that can't normally see. And for myself, I saw a lot of division 
Koreans people stuck together, Japanese people stuck together, Chinese people stuck together, Vietnamese people stuck together. And that division from insight, because I grew up in such an Asian area, helped me sort of plant the seeds with Asian Hustle Network. Because I didn't want to see that anymore. I want to see us come together. But I think had I grown up in a very strictly white environment, I don't think I would have had that insight. I don't look at things a lot differently. And I don't even know if Asian Hustle Network would be founded at that point. Right. You know? Yeah. So good thing you grew up the way you did. Yeah. Very, very Asian. But at the same time, I sort of <laughs> wish I had more white friends. Yeah. Uh, I find myself, I actually find myself making friends with Latinos pretty easily. Yeah. It's just, it's just like we have a lot of similarities, you know, like you guys like eating Asian food. I like eating Mexican food. So. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. So the family culture is there. The trust culture is there. So like I always find a lot of comfort talking to them. Um, and then, well, God, you, you grew up in East LA too, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> That, dude, I probably ate more Mexican food growing up than I did Asian food. <laughs> yeah. Huh. yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right. We'll do yeah. the, uh, we'll go to the final question section. So this is uh, five or six questions. Maybe we'll wait for Joe to get back to start it just for the heck of it. Oh, um, you're asking Brian, right? Well, I mean, it's uh, just so that Joe could um, chime in if, cause that's, okay. Usually during the final questions, we, we chime in some extra stories where Joe shines. He, uh, yeah, sometimes he does. <laughs> um, so uh, jumping back to the, um, like, you not being raised in, uh, staying in the Asian area, um, yeah. would you have any tips of advice for people that are raised in Asian areas right now? Because there's immigrants coming to the United States yeah. right now. So there's Vietnamese or Asians, Mexicans, whatever, blacks coming to America now. What suggestions would you have for those people? Is is it the topic um, of assimilation? Is that what we're talking about? Basically, sounds like that. I, yeah. I think the most important thing is be proud of your heritage. That's the first part, but also accept that we're all human and we want the same things. You know, at the core value, like we just want to trust and love, mm. right? I think that's that's really important. And then, and then, definitely, whenever you can, I want people to step out of their comfort zone. That's the only way you grow. Right. When you're moving to a new country, you want, obviously want to feel, be around things that makes you feel like you never left your country. But at a certain point, you have to be able to step outside that circle and build friends and friendships and trust with other people and other communities. And that's what I would have done differently. Right. In my formidable years, I wish I stepped outside the Asian circle and made more diverse friends. Great. Yeah. That's great advice. Spend more time at the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> 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 All right, first qu- uh, first question. It's a ton of white people up in there. <laughs> <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> uh, first question, what great daily habit or habits do you have? Um, so I call them my non-negotiables, which means that I have to do this no matter what. Oh. And one of them, two of them actually, is that I have to journal every single morning. So I start with my goals. I start with things I'm grateful for. And I go into a free flow. And that free flow really helps me understand where my alignment is and how I'm feeling. Because sometimes I realize that sometimes I ignore my emotions sometimes. And it comes out when I'm not thinking. And particularly when I'm writing, like free flow without really thinking, I'm like, oh shoot, this is a problem. And it helps me become more aware of the issues. So now I'm aware enough to work on it and be more aligned. The other non-negotiable I have is I have to read every day. Um, nice. it, it's in one chapter or 30 minutes, whatever it is, I have to read every single day. Um, that's like the one thing I, I absolutely enjoy because it keeps me disconnected from time to time. And it keeps me in, almost like in a fantasy world, 
but also I read a lot of self-improvement books. So it's like mm. I'm always envisioning myself as a CEO. Right? When I read books, I get so into it where I'm just like, what do I do in that situation? And I find myself in my own real life taking advice from other people that don't know who I am. Uh, I'm just like, oh, wow, I, this thing feels so familiar. It's because I, I read a lot of books. So those nice. are my two non-negotiables. Also, he's always hustling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I could read the sign. <laughs> when, uh, <laughs> when did the uh, journaling uh, start? Like five years ago, 10 years ago? Um, so I started this habit in high school. Oh, okay. But it was very, very inconsistent. Um, it, was, it didn't get consistent until like six years ago where I literally have not missed a single day in the last six years. Wow. So whoever gets a hold of my journal whenever I'm gone, we have an accurate documentation of almost my entire life because I don't plan on stopping this habit. Wow. You know, so I have accurate documentation from when I was 20 in my early 20s until now. So it's like, that's awesome. I also yeah. have a manifesto. It's pretty great. <laughs> like a terrorist manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> I think about this time and time too. Like, what if one day my great grandkids find my journal and it's just like, wow, like, great grandpa was such a fucked up person you know it's just like a lot of like emotions and thoughts you deal with you don't tell other people because you're just fighting your own war inside and i'm like very honest in my journal too Mm. so i'm just afraid that my future kids and generations end up finding my journals and be like and our grandpa when he was like 20 (laughs) 25 26 is he has some fucked up shit going on in your figure out (laughs) yeah well you're at the end of the day Yours is written, mine's on video. I, I feel I'm pretty open on this podcast. I talk about like regrets. Like I, I talk about how often I think about my regrets and how I try to fix yeah. them and how I try to treat my friends better every day. It, it, hey, if you go get a terrible tattoo, then you'll have new regrets that you can focus on. <laughs> it's never too late to create new regrets. Yeah. Think <laughs> well, no, content the, for the show. No, the problem is like <laughs> I, I create regrets like, that's human nature. I feel like if, if you, if you reflect on your actions, you're going to find things. You're like, damn, why did I do that? Yeah. It's easy. It's really right. fucking easy. It's yeah. so easy. Yeah. All like right. I, I always wondered why, why did I invest in cat girl coin? You know? <laughs> That's a perfect segue to the next question. What do you know or think of cryptocurrency? Uh, I think cryptocurrency is the future. To be honest, I have never been against it. In fact, it always piqued my interest. Because hmm. from all the books I read, from some odd reason, I'm always like, if I was born during the creation of the World Wide Web and I was an adult during that time, I'd be so rich by now. That was, I don't know why I think that way. And when cryptocurrency came out and the blockchain came out, I'm just like, this is the new internet. Like, this is the Wild West right now. If you want to create something amazing, you go on the blockchain. And Wait, that do was we need how- an Asian hustle coin? <laughs> I thought about that. We got a platform. <laughs> um, yeah, and I always thought that this technology is the future. It's a, when you look back to like old documents of the internet and what people said about it, it's the exact same way that people are seeing about crypto right now. Oh yeah, right. right? So I see a lot of similarities. So I'm, all, I'm all for it, and I own a good amount of coins as well. And I got into NFTs pretty early on too, nice. so that helped me adopt like this early mindset that this is going to be something amazing, you know? Yeah. Awesome. Ward apes of the future. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I love crypto. I'm a software engineer. I look at it a little bit differently than some. I go a little bit sci-fi, but if you ever have questions, um, feel free to shoot me. 
uh, any yeah. questions and I'll try to help out. <laughs> if you, you ever want to know what meme coin to invest in, let me know. <laughs> right. is, is, it, is it Squid Games? <laughs> nah, that one's too late. <laughs> I, I've lost too much money on a Squid Game coin. So I won't <laughs> uh, all right. Next question. What's the biggest problem for humans and what do we do to fix it? Oh, man. Humans create our own problems. So it's just <laughs> the ecosystem is own, you know? Hey, the, the problem that we have, it's, I don't know. You just have to, you just have to be aware. I think a lot of us are unaware, and a lot of us are keeping our minds closed off to, to key issues that make us feel uncomfortable, right? There's a huge, huge, huge thing with humans is that we tend to gravitate towards being comfortable all the time, and sometimes comfortable is not the right thing. You know, just because we're comfortable right now using fossil fuels because it gets us from point A to point B doesn't mean it's the right thing. You know, yeah. just because things are done the way they are doesn't mean it's the right thing right and we need to right. like be more aware and cognizant of what's going on in order to solve the problems that we have but that in itself is a fallacy like everyone's upbringing is different it's a great thing they're all unique but it's also a terrible thing they're also very unique you know so the problems will still continue we're always going to happen over and over and over I gave you a magic wand that said it could only do systematic changes. What systematic thing would you suggest to fix that problem? Oh, man. What do you mean by systematic? Are you talking about like political stuff? Or like <laughs> how systematic are we talking mm-hmm. about here? It could be uh, politics or it could be like maybe psychiatrists, yeah. uh, availability for everyone, which I, I don't uh, Or... Yeah. Donuts for everyone. I don't think that would work. We're stopping the U.S. government from making online poker illegal. Whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> I, have no, I have no horse in the game. You're right. This is where crazy. Joe shines. It's going to get kind of crazy because I never really talked about politics and stuff on a podcast before. Like, yeah. If given if I could change one thing, I would. I want to kind of redo like the Democratic Republican systems. I feel mm. like there's nothing. I feel like I feel like there's a lot of things wrong with that because sometimes the elected people are not the best, but because yep. of like person's prestige, power, influence, influence too much of it, that actually hurts the greater good because there's so much loyalty inside one's party. It becomes almost like gang affiliated, where it's like. I don't associate with you. I don't talk to you because you, you're you're different beliefs. But that's the part where I want to change is like, just pick the best damn person. Mm. You know, it doesn't matter what party they're in. Just pick the best damn person that can do the damn good job. You know, Andrew Yang. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I personally not think, for I, any candidate. I think we should just have a lottery system. You know, like you're sitting there one day and you're like, ah, oh, fuck, I have to be president for the next four years. <laughs> you know, that's the most fair way to really do things. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't go that radical, but like, <laughs> I, I know a lot of people that we don't want in power. <laughs> All right, next question: What's your favorite food or dish? Ta-da! Oh man, I honestly used to be a huge ramen lover. But oh, I thought nowadays, you were gonna go Mexican food, bro. <laughs> now nowadays my metabolism metabolism slow, so I, I'm a fall person now. I'm like, oh, it's so much better for my health. <laughs> Wait, pho yes, is better for you than ramen? 
I don't know. I just tell, feel that lighter. They throw, oh, okay. more animals. they throw more animals in a bowl. So, I mean, whatever. It's like Noah's Ark in a fucking bowl. I, I do love my burritos, though. Everybody knows that. I love yeah. to do burritos a lot. Wait, do you have a favorite uh, file place in Vegas here? Just curious. Uh, not yet. I haven't really found a place. Uh, yet. I got to show you the good one. What would you say, Lim? Uh, I'm going to go. Newm really likes that. The pho at pho Saigon 8. Saigon 8. Off yeah. of 215 in uh, Eastern. Oh, okay. I I, I liked um, Pho Noodle House. Pho, yeah. Pho v- noodle, noodle Bar. Pho, v- pho Noodle Bar. V- noodle Bar? Viet noodle bar, holy crap! Yeah, it's been so. It's been a while. Uh, since Your Vietnamese sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Newm says that one's not as good. So I, I want to trust in a weird way. You know, it's a weird thing that her her taste buds for for Viet, Vietnamese authentic pho is probably better tuned than mine. So does it matter which one I like more? But well, I, yeah, there's a difference between what you enjoy and what is most authentic. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. Yeah, you could you could enjoy Taco Bell without acknowledging that it's not, <laughs> you know, authentic yeah, Mexican. You know what I mean? Like, that's true. yeah, like you know what's you know what's hilarious <laughs> if you if you meet Mexican people like from Mexico that live down there, ask them if there's any Taco Bells around. They will find that to be a hilarious question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you got you got to tell those Mexicans straight up, like, bro, have you ever even had a Crunchwrap Supreme? You know, <laughs> they don't even know what to do. You know, yeah. they just make their beef tongue tacos and go about their day. <laughs> yeah. What what's your favorite pho? Uh I don't know that I have a favorite one. Um there's, yeah, there's places I enjoy eating. Uh Vietnam Bar is good. Uh Saigon 8 has some good locations. They have a new one on uh Silverado Ranch. Mm-hmm. Um over here in the southwest side of town on Rainbow, there's uh probably three different places I go to. Uh, how is District One? I haven't been there yet, but it seems pretty it, famous. It's famous. It's not authentic at all. It's like if a uh if somebody wanted to make a fusion of like, you know, kind of a hipster fine dining with Vietnamese, you know, they do a lot of fusion dishes. Yeah, so is that is that a restaurant or? Yeah, District One. Yep. Oh, okay, District One sounds very dystopian. So I wasn't sure if that's a restaurant or like. What <laughs> that's that how. Means or? That's how the districts in Vietnam. They're the District One, Two, Three, Four. Oh, are you five, serious? Six. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, in oh, Saigon. Oh God, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Those are the neighborhoods. District yeah. One is the uh, like the. Um, the touristy American uh, touristy right. area of, of district one makes district, district seven look like district three. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think they do know what you're saying. But. <laughs> <laughs> and another one I would suggest, uh, Brian is get the, uh, try the oxtail pho at, um, pho King off of two fifteen two fifteen and, uh, Eastern. That one's pretty oh. good. No, didn't we go there for okay. a way? But they also, they oh, no, also no, um, the, the Bonnet? Yeah, Bonnet. Oxtail, huh? Yeah, yeah, but they have an oxtail pho there. Um, there's also another, is that Le Pho? There's one that downtown that had an oxtail pho. I think you told me about that place. It's been a while. Mm. But yeah. Pre, Pre-COVID. Yeah, Brian, if you ever want to go, if you want me, if you need a tour guide, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> let me know. All right, next questions. L- last question. Shout out two friends that you think that should do this podcast. Oh, oh who would be great guests? That is a good question. There's so many. Uh, I can ask a clarifying question. What kind of uh, guests do you typically look for? Um, good ones. Uh, <laughs> just, Asians. I just. <laughs> I, well, actually, no. There's there's actually some. So when this started out, this logo used to say some Viet. So I had a channel that was I wanted to be some Vietnamese guy. So I shortened it to some Viet. So this logo of uh i don't have the cup i have a cup that still has the sun viet logo and i changed it to talks with lynn lee uh 
and I changed it because it felt like that's what a lot of podcasts you, you want your 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 name in the title. I I don't know if that was a good move. Hopefully it is. We'll see in the next year or two. Um, so I took away some Viet, but anyway, so some Viet. I actually did kind of imagine this being more of an Asian hustle podcast to some degree when I first started it. It kind of evolved in different. It evolved in, evolved into this. Mm. Some Viet in the Arab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Saudi Asian. Yeah. Uh, so I guess to answer your question, um, any guess that you think is great? I love I love Asian Asian guests. Um, I would really love to have maybe an Asian cop on, but that's probably a very whoa. specific question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then cops really find it. I've already had uh, quite a few. Uh, re- I requested a few cops, and they all are afraid to come on this podcast, which I understand. Touchy subjects, things that we talk what, about. What about somebody that uh, is highly involved in the Stop Asian Hate? kind of activities yeah that'd be great yeah i'm actually having two people in mind one of them is the podcast person of vietnamese boat people okay oh. um i'm looking him up on facebook right now because i totally forgot his name and the other person runs a vietnamese podcast okay so oh wow those so he he goes through and interviews predominantly like vietnamese pioneers Wow. So those are people. I need to look up their names. Okay. They're probably going to hate me because I forgot. Well, we could cut this out and we could edit it in. Once you find it, you can say their name and then. You're the the only person I've ever met that's also called them boat people. (laughs) (laughs) I actually used to work for an electronics retailer here and we were a big port and we were instructed not to sell the boat people. And I didn't know what that meant for the longest time. Oh yeah, I, uh, I don't know if it's that derogatory. It's a. Uh, it's pretty derogatory, in my opinion. But I mean, not not coming from you, but like you know, what I mean, like in general, like the way that I heard it was hella derogatory. Oh yeah, because they want to get off the boat and just buy shit, and they want to buy warranties, which is bad for the company I work for. Allegedly, I don't want to get in trouble. But... Okay. <laughs> yeah, and I, I always thought it was fucked up because they'd be like, "Don't sell laptops to the boat people. Tell them we're out of stock." <laughs> I'd be like, what the fuck does that even mean? Wow. You know? oh. Uh, no, uh, well, so in our context, we're, there's fresh off the boat, which is people that literally just got here, right? And then in, in the Vietnamese context, the, a lot of the people that escaped Vietnam literally jumped on a boat. And and so there was uh, a time in the late 70s where there was a phenomenon of, here's another load of, of Vietnamese coming over on boats. So Yeah, um, yeah no, I, I saw that here because we were yeah. right on a port river and... Right. A lot of them were just working a boat and they get off the boat to spend their money to buy a laptop to talk to their family. And, and you know, we were told mm. to tell them, no, fuck you, you know? And I was just like, what? Oh, wow. <laughs> well, so what's the discrimination there? You don't want to, you don't want their money uh, or what's the, uh, 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 the, the entire metrics of the store, the manager and the employees was based off of how many warranties and accessories you could sell uh, if someone bought a computer. And yeah. most of them were just buying a $300 computer so they could talk to their family or, you know, communicate or whatever and yeah. since they didn't buy these extra things you know they were considered uh yeah low value a, customers that's a loss to that person's performance in, yes. in the company's eyes wow yes it was it absolutely was so like that's if, crazy if you didn't sell a warranty or a printer with a computer you know yeah. you'd get the cold shoulder if you did if you did sell that shit you wouldn't get a bonus or commission you just get a fist bump you know 
So, oh yeah. Yeah. And they were hella racist. You know what I mean? Like the place I worked for, they would literally yeah. have us open laptops and like be like, Oh, it's open box. And you know, smear our nuts on it. Not literally, but pretty much. <laughs> you know? Damn. It was horrible. Okay. But that, Wait, that I, was, I, I found I'm sorry. <laughs> what? No yeah. You got recommendations. So, I want to shout out uh, Kenneth Nguyen, which he's the podcast host of uh, a Vietnamese podcast that highlights Vietnamese celebrities, talents, creators, game changers within the Asian American community in Vietnam as well. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. Another podcast um, shout out is I want to recommend Bao Nguyen. So he's the director of Be Water, Bruce Lee documentary. And I really love his take on like Bruce's, Bruce Lee's impact on um mm. on on the entertainment industry so awesome yeah uh, that is cool I, I would love to see some uh strong female voices of women that have incredible stories because uh, oh, yeah. i think it's even harder for women to be loud and be empowered and yeah and to climb these rungs right yeah so there's the vietnamese woman that reached out to me recently her name is my lay uh-huh. and she wrote her her book based upon her life that talks about her escaping vietnam Oh, that'd be awesome! Yeah, American culture, and she ended up going to like Princeton. Now she's a startup founder. Fantastic! Awesome. Yeah, awesome. Would love to yeah. meet her. Yeah, cool. Yeah. All right, um, I have one question. We could either, if you want to, my question is: uh, Do you have any suggestions on how I can make my podcast bigger? Um, it, you, we could either do that via email, or if you want to answer yeah. now, or whatever. I um, would take clips and. I, I guess you have to narrow down your target audience. You can't really cast a wide net in podcasting and realize to get the screen numbers that you want. Mm. It's like it's hustle and our demographic is from age 25 to 46. That's our demographic. We're going to market towards that. I think you have to figure out like, who's your target demographic, right? And leverage the right social media platform for that. I like your color in the background. I like you guys' humor. So I personally feel like the way that you guys narrate the podcast would be, I would honestly feel like it appeals to the younger generation because there's a lot to learn. With that being said, I will look at like Dive Studio with the way they do their clips on Instagram Reels, the way they do their clips on TikTok, and kind of hold it to like that fun style because uh, you guys strike me as a podcast as very casual and very fun and very hip. Yeah. Go for your target audience that fits that model. Because if you're a grand Stefan, obviously you want a darker environment like myself. I have a dark environment because this is a semi-professional podcast. Like, serious talk. Serious talk, right? Yeah. But you, I, I can tell from the lighting behind, it's like, know your, know your demographic, who you're marketing to. And after you know the demographic, and I can write, ask the right question in the podcast. If I was at my 21-year-old life and I, I don't know what I'm doing, what should I do? And have the podcast guest sort of give advice, and then you have those little nuggets that you use to target a demographic. Nice. Uh, so I realized in podcasting because I, this is my second podcast actually. My first one is a real estate cool. podcast, uh, crushing into real estate. Yeah. That one I made plenty of mistakes. So I was like, man, why is my listenership so crappy? You know, <laughs> but I got, after I learned from that, it's like, okay, I need a niche down. This is my niche. We're a hustle podcast, inspiring people to get started. Our clips should be around the word hustle, right? So niche down, understand who you're talking to. Awesome. Thank you so much. So if I'm understanding yeah. Brian correctly, you want to title this podcast, Top 10 Reasons Why Asians Are Better Than Everyone Else. 
You know, you yeah, yeah, yeah. use clickbait like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just awesome. know who you're talking to. That, that makes yeah. a huge difference. Yeah, great. Nice. All right, uh, Brian, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Um, yeah. Thanks for sharing Asian Hustle Network with the uh, Talks with Lim Lee. Yeah. yeah. Do you have yeah. Do you have a cup, a drink, or anything to cheers with? Uh, I have my two LaCroix cans during this podcast in three yeah. hours. Yeah. yeah, let's do that. There you go. <laughs> Healthy. <laughs> Joe. Cheers, gentlemen. Oh, 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 shit, shit, shit. Oh, cheers. <laughs> cheers. Cheers. Thanks, Brian. Asian, Brian, Asian Hustle Network. Your Asian Network group. I hope I get it first. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Saudi oh, Arabia is part of Asia. Look at the map. <laughs> uh, uh, uh.